Foxcaster online. Authorization accepted. Uplink confirmed. Begin transmission. Behold, the coming of the one supreme master of machines. He comes to you from heaven in the drops of rain. Sons of Mars, listen well, for one will come, mighty and strong, holding the scepter of power in his hand. Clothed in light and fire, his mouth shall utter eternal words, while his mind shall be a fountain of knowledge and fact. When the Savior shall appear, ye shall see him as he is. A man like ourselves, and yet greater by far. This will be the first step in the greatest endeavor of man. It shall begin on the highest peak of the dominion of Eris, when Demos and Phobos are at apogee and perigee. There thou shalt see the face of the Omnissiah, clad in a body of gold and wreathed in the firmament of the storm. The Lord of all machines will stand in the midst of his people and shall reign over all the dominion of man. Great shall be the glory of his presence, that the sun shall hide his face in shame. For verily I say unto you that he shall be the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the master of flesh and the forger of metal. He shall be a light that shineth in darkness and a banisher of ignorance. He shall be the object of devotion and love, which kings might envy and emperors sigh for in vain. He shall desire the good of Ares' realm and the happiness of man. All must become one in loyalty and see all men as brothers. Ruinous wars shall pass away and peace shall reign among the stars. Strife and bloodshed and discord will cease. All men shall be as one kindred. The divisions of the stars shall all be one. The Coming of the Omnissiah. Exloaded by Pico della Moravic, Primus of the Brotherhood of Singularitarianism. Hello, welcome to After Ulanor, the Mechanicum episode, and those were the sultry sounds of David Wytek. Thank you, and that, as you've heard, is my co-host, the one and only Greg Dan. Greg, how's it going? Yeah, you know, struggling on. <laughs> Can't, can't grumble yourself. Uh, hey, we're all getting by, right? Hey, we've, we've got an episode out and it hasn't been like four months, so. Yeah, no, it's good. <laughs> and not only that, but I'm, we're rolling on the next book already, so this is, I'm so proud of us right now. Yeah, I think we should probably just bring that up. Um, we, we've said it before about time scale. I think we have to just accept, uh, and listeners have to accept, that this is a thing they will come out when they come out. Um, yeah, we're not going I, I, anywhere. People keep asking, "Hey, are you quitting?" No, we're not. I love doing this, and so does Greg. If we ever had to stop it for whatever reason, it would be out there. News would be out there. We'd even probably record something to say that. Dude, we're not uh, stopping. But time scales <laughs> are even more fluid than maybe they have been because of life. Yeah. So it, that is just the situation. I, I, I'm not even going to apologize for it anymore because yeah, that is just how this has to work now. Yeah. So we will continue to do the best that we can and uh, hopefully uh, entertain you. I know that um, the Dan Abney interview got some good responses, which is always cool. 
I, that was so much fun, dude. I'm, I would like to have more authors on more often during the feedback episodes because I would just like to know what some of them are thinking. It's, I think it's part of the plan where we can. Any author that is employed by GW in any f- format, because authors aren't, they're all uh, freelance as authors, but anyone who is employed by GW cannot come onto any form of media. So, um, Is there anyone in particular who writes heresy that you can think of off the top of your head? I mean, because I don't know. Oh, Gav Thorpe stopped. Um, so we have Nick Kime, uh, John... Uh, I can't. I Wait, Nick Kime works for GW or doesn't? Nick Kime is an editor at GW, so okay, he so he's cannot out. come on. Um, and John, 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 John. Oh, uh, <laughs> you know John, uh, John French. That's oh, the okay, one. right. It's completely slipped my mind. He's one of the ones who's uh, starting to write more. But there are two or three that maybe can't. Gav's now uh, a writer, so he can. Um, and yeah. So it's just just a just a warning that there may be a, f- a few people we can't get on, and some people who may not want to. So, <laughs> um, you know, that's All right. fair enough, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, we'll leave it at that. So, so Mechanicum. Oh, yeah. God, it's okay. Second time we're reading this, it moved a lot faster than I remember it going the first time. At least right, for me, okay. like it's the story seemed to just move along. It's like the 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 second time I read Flight of the Eisenstein, like. It just, it seemed like stuff happened a lot quicker. Like I got to the, I, I know it took me forever to read it, but it seemed like there was just, maybe I remembered more, you know, in my head, I built up more things happening, but it's just like, oh yeah, I remember this. And a cause will just be that it's the second reading, so I remember it. So it seems like I'm getting to the end quicker. Sure. But uh, it just seemed like, a, a, like it was, part of it was it was just so damn fun too. So yeah, it's a, it's a very different book. Yeah, which I like. I like a lot. Um, yeah, I, it's 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 Mechanicum. It was this was one of my favourites, so it was always good fun to go back. Even though I read it very in, in patches for the first half of it, uh, amongst doing other things. But yeah, I I had the same problem, and then it was like I finally just sat down and just. Started pounding out a couple of chapters. I don't. I got to sit down at least a chapter or two a day and just get this thing done. And uh, I'm not disappointed. I really loved this the second time through. Yeah, no, I think I think it's great. There's some really cool characters and uh, a good reminder for some of the little bits that go on in there as well. Oh yeah. So what do you think of the cover? Uh, awesome. Yeah, I like it too. Um, that's not Zeth on the cover, is it though? What uh, is that? That's a Mechanicum priest of some kind. Okay. Yeah, that's just very cool. I didn't think so. I like at first, I you know, when you start reading about it, I'm like, oh, that must be her on the cover. And then I'm like, no, wait a minute. There's a war going on. She never left the. She didn't leave the house when this was going on. No, exactly. I mean, it, it, yeah, there's there's all kinds of stuff going on on the planet. This is a a very much a stereotypical view of a, a tech priest. Yeah. Um, and then in the background, all the robots and, and Skatari and the massive uh, fortress. Uh, what do you call them? Actually, yeah. other than uh, honestly, with my cover, I got the old soft cover, and other than the guy in the front, I can't really see anything. Like I can't tell what's going on in this cover of this book. Yeah, so. I got the hardback on the back. You've got the uh, the fortress hive 
Yeah, I mean, um, I, I can flip um, open and see it on the on the black and white first page thing, but even then, it's like I can't. It's that black and white first page. It's hard, a little hard to tell what's going on. Yeah, I mean, it, it is as well. It's, it's you know the red sky of Mars and and, and all that. I just yes, it's quite evocative of of the battle, which you don't actually see much of. Yeah, yeah, no kidding, huh? Yeah. So, should we jump right into it? Uh, the the prologue here. Um, yeah, I mean, they do include a map as well. Oh, that's right, that's right. Which which is quite interesting for a Horus Heresy book. I'm trying to remember if it's happened since, and I don't think it has. I could be wrong. Uh, but that's, I mean, I don't necessarily use the maps, but it's quite interesting just to have a little look. I thought I, I was trying to use it in the beginning, and then I realized I had no idea what the heck I was reading or what the scale was or what I was looking at, so I just stopped. No, in the beginning. No. Later on, I looked back at it once I was like halfway into the book, so I had a little bit better of an idea. But I was yeah. just like, okay. I mean, it's, it's nice that it's there, but I was just like, whatever. It explains it quite well in the book anyway. So Exactly. I tend to find that it wasn't now, necessarily. Is the Mechanicum all over Mars, or are they just in like a certain section of Mars? Because it seemed like everything took place in this one. I just keep picturing them being on like a quarter of Mars and like the rest of it being just crazy deserts. That's a good question. Uh, I don't actually know. I think they have most of Mars. Uh, I think what you've got is probably the more powerful, influential areas in in this one area, kind of the uh-huh. influential players in this one area. Uh, but I mean, there, we we in the thing it already talks about parts of Mars being left. You know, they don't go near here and this part. So there's probably quite large segments that are uninhabited. But also, you know, it's pretty much everywhere in in 40k, 30k is is once they find a planet and they can live on it, they don't tend to leave much space. Yeah, no, exactly. Well, I was I was just I was just asking. So I guess uh, all right. So we're starting in the prelude, and you get Lord Commander Verdicorda, who you know one of the main characters throughout the book, and he's in. Aris Lichter. Now, is this one of those Imperial Knights that they came out with, you know, in the past year or so? Is this, this is? Yeah, not exactly the same look as those ones because this one has the uh, open canopy, doesn't it? The the clear. But yeah, essentially, yes. Uh, if you look at the old Epic, people who are aware of Epic, the old knights look slightly different, but essentially, yes. Okay, but so this isn't the big, big titans. These are are, are they titans? No, 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 no these are the, the Imperial no. Knights. Okay, they're, I think GW called the plastic ones Knight Titans, which I think is just a link. Uh, technically, they're not titans. Okay, but so yeah. it's funny because first time I read through this, I didn't know what any of that meant, and now it was like I'm reading it this time. I'm like, oh, and they came out with them, and I have an idea, so I felt yeah. much better. Like I like, oh, I know what I'm, I know what I'm reading here, so. Now, okay, so basically, in this whole intro, it starts raining, and it never rains on Mars. It's a big deal, and it starts raining. And so uh, Lord Commander Verticorda and some of his guys go to check this out, and they go up onto this mountain, and the Emperor shows up on Mars. And everything he's doing is fulfilling this prophecy, prophecy going through Verticorda, all these things that are coming through. So this, I mean, an entire city starts coming through the clouds. It's pretty cool. It's pretty darned impressive, actually. Um, you know, it it starts coming through. It's causing all this weather pattern shifts because it's just so. I mean, it's just coming into the atmosphere. It's causing trouble, and um, 
I think the interesting stuff from this intro is really a what we learn about the knights and their machines, this connection. Because yeah. once again, I you know, from my point of view, this was something I had no, like I was a little confused at first. Like, wait a minute, they're literally. I mean, I know they're linked to the machine, but it's like these machines somehow develop a personality. They have something yeah. going on in them. I mean, that's just kind of fascinating to me. That's that's something that is spread throughout the whole of 40K. So we've spoken before about ships having uh, idiosyncrasies, like their sensors work better on one side of the ship than they do on the other. Like uh, they, they, they turn slightly quicker one way than the other, things like that. Uh, and that happens with uh, all big Imperial machines to some extent uh, at some point. The, the older the ship, the older the vehicle, the more likely it is. And that is, in essence, a, a kind of an echo of the fact we have a machine spirit. So so there is something called, a, there is some sort of a machine spirit, is that? Well, well, the Mechanicum believe there is. Okay. Um, I mean, we see through this that there's that, the whole book is... Um, just, you know, the, these are the ways we've always done something. This is what we believe in. And then you've got the other side of it saying, no, it's just science and we can do this. Um, but the majority of, of Mars will believe there is a machine spirit. And they see that as part of the proof of it, um, whether it is or not. Yeah, see, this is something that I really enjoyed because I really, I mean, when I was read about that stuff in 40K where you'd have the tech priest and they would literally go up and say their prayers when they would change the oil on things because if you don't say your prayer with it, it doesn't work. And I'm like, wow, they've just become superstitious as they lost knowledge. Yeah, but then you go back to 30K where they're at the peak of their knowledge. No, not the peak. Oh, they're not? They're not. Okay. No, oh, no, that's because no. they got those weird machines that they lost. Yeah, so 5,000 years beforehand. They were at their peak, and then we got Old Knight, and a lot of that, that was where the knowledge started to get lost. So they were even beyond that. Oh, well, that's kind of fascinating. Are we, uh, any, is there any stuff that, that goes back or talks about that stuff? I mean, is there anything that goes into any details or stories centered no. there? No? Okay, just curious. So they're like the other two legions, so you just don't talk about that, really? We know um, it's there? Yeah, it's, it's a case of they've got to draw the line somewhere. Okay. Um, and anything pre kind of Great Crusade, it doesn't really fit in. So right. if you started going back to old old stuff, that would be a whole different whole different thing in, in of itself. <laughs> Another series, <laughs> yeah. And there's Warhammer plenty of 10K, stuff. Warhammer ten k, Warhammer twenty k. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. they're already looking at the next logical step will be Warhammer thirty two k, the scouring um, post oh, post heresy is something that. Uh, particularly Dan and a few others were talking about they want to write books for um, uh, at some point if they can. So they've got they've got 10,000 years between the heresy and 40K, which is full of crazy stuff going on before they even have to worry about going back. Right. I mean, you'd want to do unification wars before you did anything 5,000 years beforehand anyway. So. Well, that's true. Yeah. And, right. and anything before that wouldn't have space marines in it. So. Yeah. And Thunder Warriors just aren't as exciting. Yeah, so. but even before them. So, oh, that's yeah, true. Cool. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. But this whole—I mean, this whole book is kind of a look at um, uh, faith, r religiosity, uh, in in kind of all its forms, and uh, all those aspects. And it, McNeil, kind of throws a lot of questions. True. In in that aspect, because yeah, I've got which questions. Is, which is cool. <laughs> we all have. So the <laughs> other thing we get to see once again is the emperor, and every time the emperor shows up, everybody knows I pretty much wet my pants because I get excited because I just love when he shows up. 
um, it's always kind of weird and exciting just to get any glimpse at this guy. Uh, in fact, the glimpses you get in this book, uh, they sort of seem to fall more in line with uh, John Grammaticus's opinion of the emperor. Like, holy crap, you know? <laughs> Um, but so he shows up on Mars and he walks off of this this giant city ship. This, you know, this walkway opens up and here he comes out, golden halo, golden armor, walking out. The guys on Mars are just baffled by just even, I mean, the, the size of this city and the fact that it can stay up. They're just like, whoa, that's amazing. That's incredible. He walks out. The RS Lichter, this ship that he's, they're this... Uh, you know this this night that he's walking in, is that's the one. He's got the bad knee or something like that, right? Yeah. And he walks over and touches the knee and says, "You know, machine heal thyself," and it's fixed. And it's like, oh, he's the Omnissiah. Um, here's my question: Don't they know he's the emperor? Like, have they never met him before? And if I mean, because it, it seems pretty impossible that they are. I mean, and if they don't know him, then how long ago was this? I mean, because if they had a treaty with, I mean, I just, it seems to me like, it just, it something didn't quite click in my head, and it might be that I'm missing a crucial piece of information, but were they somehow cut off from Earth and unaware of the Emperor all this time? Because he's been around there a while, hasn't he? Uh, but not necessarily in power. So the Emperor came to prominence during the Wars of Unification. Um, that's when he rose up and became this powerful force that he is moving on. Um, whether he rose up before that or not is a different matter. But he, this is the point where he, you know, he unified Earth for the first, you know, really f under that one rule for properly for that first time. Uh, so even if you're on Mars and there is chat between the two it's like there's this dude and he's unified the whole of earth oh, oh wow he must be amazing that is so different from him then turning up oh okay so you've got story you've got kind of you know you hear about oh this bloke's done this yeah well i'm sure 20 percent of that's not even vaguely true and the other you know 50 percent of it was slightly embellished uh, and then you know it's just you know and then this guy turns up and not only does he turn up but he fulfills he, he kind of goes through we had the prologue you read at the start of he's hitting all these marks of what the Omnissiah should be doing and he knows these prophecies I mean it's like he you know well yeah I mean right at the end of the book we get a hint of what's been going on uh, and actually I mean right at the end of the book it all relates back to this um and is this the longest game in the history of games? You know, is this, is this, you know, we talk about playing the long game. This can be thousands and thousands of years, the long game. Um, yeah, he knew exactly what he was doing. Right. Okay. That's I, I, what I, suspect, I suspect this is the meeting now, having to flick through the books, not great to do it on, on air, but I suspect this is the first meeting that happened like near the end of the Unification Wars because this is when the Emperor comes to them and yeah, they've got the knights there and it's like, right, we need to build an army to go out and, and conquer. Oh, exactly. So, exactly. Yeah. So it, it was really cool. I mean, I did find it yes. very cool, the, just the idea of all these people coming and seeing him and he comes down and, and drops this. And then we get into Chapter 1, Part 1, uh, Principia Mechanicum. I like the, uh, they're all the, the this is 1.01, .01, how it, it totally goes into this. Yeah. You know. So. Confu 
It's good. It's nice, nice and different. Yeah. Um, so it started off with uh, Dahlia Thera, who is one of the main characters here. Uh, and she is she has like no friends or colleagues or anything at the scriptoria where she works on Terra. Uh, she yeah. she basically she's um, all the in fact they mention how the people who are out with the uh, with the expedition all the um, what do you call them the um, fleets no the humans who went out to record everything oh yeah the the remembrances yeah. the remembrances right. Um, they, she's getting, they're getting stuff back from them even, and they're marking it down. It's, it's cute that they mentioned a couple of the names from the characters we knew from the first three books. Yeah, that happens quite a lot. Nice little right. hints and trips. Yeah, and she's there, and she's basically in a data processing facility with just uh, an influx of huge amounts of data. And she's just exactly. going to sit and work at it. But she's different from all the rest. Right. She enhances her cogitator, which gets her in a world of trouble because she violated the laws of divine complexity. And here, I, this is one of the pages that I marked for reading here because I liked this. Um, we were sent to fetch you before. This is after they, they went to get her and they actually start talking to her. Uh, you were, we were sent to fetch you before you were executed. Executed? exclaimed Dahlia. For what? Magos Lud invoked the law of divine complexity, explained Romu 31. Individuals so accused attract the attention of our master. Dahlia thought for a moment, her eyes fluttering beneath the lids as she recalled that, what that law concerned. Let me think. That's the belief that the structure and working of each machine has been set down by the Omnissiah and is therefore divine, and that to alternate is... Oh, now you see why we came for you. So they were going to kill her. This is actually interesting because, uh, actually, as I'm starting the school year again... Um, yeah. Is when I teach you about Egyptian art and Egyptian stuff. The Egyptians believed everything was handed down to them. That's why when you look at um, most art changes from generation to generation, mm. and Egyptian art for thousands of years pretty much never changed, which is one of the reasons Egyptian art is so recognizable, is because it's not even different dynasties or anything. Those pictures didn't change for 5,000 years because the way you did that was what was the way that gods wanted it to be, and who were you to change it? Sure. So yeah. I kind of yeah. So I mean, there. I thought it was kind of neat how it went back there. Yeah, that's very cool. Um, yeah, it's a nice little. I mean, GW draw a lot from historical civilizations. Exactly. In, in huge amounts, it's quite a cool way of making the future look a bit different. Right. Which is um, really good. But yeah, we got this 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 woman who's who's you know, handily for story purposes, she has this memory, eidetic memory. Exactly, um, it's pretty cool. I mean, yeah, it's, yeah, and it's. I mean, to talk about. I mean, it's, every it's a, thing. It's a nice ploy. It's a neat ploy because it gets her into the trouble, but it's it's what helps see her through all the trouble as well. Part of what helps see her through. Exactly, and then she's got. Uh, she was picked up by Romu Thirty One, which is the designation of these protectors. And uh, they're taking her to Mars, and we get the scene where she shows us her worth here. She's got that eidetic memory, like you said. Um, she keeps looking at all of them. And that's why they even start talking to her because she starts noticing these patterns and she remembers it. She's like, wait, it all adds up to the same number. They're like, what? Like, you recognize that? And she's like, oh, yeah, I saw it in a picture like years ago. And like, what? So now they realize. So she's been saved by the high adept Coriel Zeth, the mistress of the Magma City on Mars. And that's basically what they tell her. And then it cuts back to the Knights Tyrannus. And you get more about this uh, connection between yeah. the knights and their mounts, which is just, 
again, uh, it's kind of fascinating to read it, especially when eventually the guy gets stuck in the uh, in the uh, amniotic fluid tank thing. The uh, yeah, that upset a lot of people because um, I think in Titanicus the novel as well. There's one as well. It's been a, ages since I read it, and a lot of people when when things like the Warlord Titan was released by Forge World, like, there's not enough room for an amniotic tank in there, and it's like. Yeah, not many. Not many people get the amniotic tank. That's not. It's not the norm. Right. Um, but I mean, this is right at the end of the crusade. We're at now. They're trying different things and everything. But uh, these boys are left on Mars and haven't had a good fight in a while, have they? Right. And so I love uh, this part right here. It's. Uh Maven had met countless Titan drivers, and it was easy to tell which machines they commanded within moments of talking to them. Warhound drivers were belligerent, wolf-like daredevils, whereas the men who fought from the towering battle titans were arrogant and ego-driven warriors, who often appeared to hold those around them in contempt. Maven knew that such conceit was forgivable, for marching to war so high above the battlefield and unleashing such awesome destructive power would naturally swell a man's ego. But it was also a necessary defense against the engine's character overwhelming that of its commander. So you could actually like lose control of the machine. Yeah. So all knights and titans have quite strong spirits. Now these are really talked about having spirits. So you'd often get, particularly the other wolfhounds, they're all, almost in this constant struggle to uh, to kind of be the dominant mind. Like having a beast underneath you that's a bit belligerent. Yeah, it's pretty cool, though. I mean, it's yeah. really, it's it, it's a neat thing. Um, but I just, I loved reading about it. You know, it's, it's, it's. It's it's just it's so strange that these things start to develop personalities, and I mean there's literally this one part in the book where the machine the, the the one Titan is pulling him towards a certain area like it wants to go there and fight yes. that. And it's like yeah. wait what? Yeah. So it's pretty cool, but we'll get to that a little later. It, so, it might be worth it might be worth mentioning because these are all uh, knights that are associated with Titan houses. So that is not necessarily how all, all the night houses were spread out amongst the galaxy. They're actually not really, um, most of them are separate from Mars, but they kind of did deals with Mars when they were brought back into the Imperium. So we do find some more later on, but some of those night houses then joined the Titan houses. But okay. It, it doesn't mean that all knights are part of Titan houses. Knights have their own houses or are lone wolves or whatever. So it, but this, these are just the ones that are associated on on Mars. Okay. I get you. All right. So then, okay, now they're out there and they're killing packs of feral servitors. This is weird. Servitors can go sort of wonky and just like... Okay, first of all, the idea of servitors, where if you're like... Aren't these mostly people who like have committed some sort of crime or something and you can be executed yeah. or else be... I mean, they're basically lobotomized and their brain is used... As yep. the CPU is I mean, of, of a machine. Isn't that kind of what it is? Like yeah. the organic what, matter works, I don't know, better why, or something? Why waste a good... Well, also because artificial intelligence is banned, so they can, they can maintain a certain level of like responding to commands and achieving objectives. Uh, but yeah, why waste good, uh, good resources just because someone's a criminal and was going to be killed? That's true. You know, they don't need their body anymore. Oh, yeah. Well, and exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, all, yeah, servitors are uh, mainly criminals. 
And this is where he sees something big winking in and out of his auspex, and he doesn't know what it is. And uh, we also get a little bit of uh, we get a little bit of politics in here in this opening. There's a lot going on in this opening chapter. Yeah, we got the the, the different clans, like the night, the the Titan houses on Mars, even though they're all loyal to Mars, aren't right. always friendly with each other. There's a lot of rivalry going on. There's a lot of postulation, and even every now and then, a few shots fired. Right, and so these guys, you know, they need their energy, and uh, the other guys need their protection. So you can sort of get this. I was reading this here. Uh, let's see. Adept Maximal is one of those senior magi of Mars, and his fusion reactors supply power to a great many vassal forges dotted around the Tharsis uplands. Some arrangements were common across the red planet. Such arrangements were common across the red planet. Ancient treaties binding the clans and forges together in reciprocal pacts of protection and supply that allowed such varied groups with conflicting needs to coexist. As well as allied forges, Maximal had exchanged bonds of fealty and supply with a number of warrior orders, including many of the most revered Titan legios. So that's kind of cool right there. Yeah. Really cool. So, I really, I mean, like I said, I'm really enjoying this. Uh, and then we go back to the ship and uh, photomalleable steel. So they can, uh, they, the steel that can become translucent. Cool, cool idea. I like that. So they yeah. can they can just make it regular steel. So when you don't want, you know, when you're pointing directly at something that's too bright or something out in space, but then you can always just uh, if you want to open up, you can open it up. So they got that going on, which I thought was cool. And then you get to a Zeth, who is pretty special as well. Apparently, because uh, we get our little info dump here for those of us who don't know anything, they tell Dahlia everything so that we can find out what's going on. Yeah. Um, she gets the lowdown on all of Mars. Um, a nice little cute mention of the Furious Abyss here. So apparently not as secret he, as we thought. It's exactly what I've written. <laughs> it's because it's said by Romu, uh, 31. Um, it, it's crazy, you know. What is it? Uh, we'll soon lay claim to the largest ship ever constructed when they complete the Furious Abyss, uh, which kind of flies in the face of the Furious Abyss. Exactly. Um, but, but makes more sense that people do actually know about it. Uh, and this is the hardback, so that's kind of confirmed. So whether they change it in the uh, the Furious Abyss hardback, um, who knows. Bless. <laughs> <laughs> so then you get uh, a look at uh, the reactions at last minute changes of plans. Um you know, as as things get changed, it's all you know they they're, they're, they don't react necessarily very well to uh, to change of plans. Um, and that uh, I like the idea that the whole emperor's deal with Mars is supposed to be rather hands off. That's basically the big deal is um, you let us do what we want to do. Yeah, he the emperor's just said you're not allowed to do this, you're not allowed to do that, and you're not allowed to do that. But apart from that, knock yourselves out. Right, and then. Uh, so then we get to the Temple of All Knowledge, and they go drop to enter, and they fly through the yellow smog. They're flying through yellow smog for several hours. Yep. I mean, how fast are they going? Because that seems like a lot of going through, you know, hours of going through. Well, it maybe just shows you just how contaminated and how widespread the, the forges are on Mars. Uh, that's possible too. Yeah. Um, I just like I said I thought that was pretty cool, 
and uh, yeah. that's pretty much that 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 multiple hour long drop is uh, is where the chapter ends. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, it is, it's 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 good to note that the the plans for Battlefleet, the ships that were planned for Battlefleet Solar, have been uh, reissued orders by the Warmaster to take part in the Isvan campaign. So right at the start, it's pointing you like this is just before everything goes to pot. Yep, yep. So we know exactly where we're standing. Yeah, but I yes. thought that was really cool too. Uh, cool. Yeah, so uh, moving into 1.02. Yes. Uh, Dahlia, Dahlia is brought to Arcia Mons. A dead volcano brought back to life to serve the Mechanicum. That's a pretty cool thing. It's just showing off, isn't it, really? <laughs> yeah, basically. It's like, oh, you think you're fancy, huh? Yeah, which is really cool. We got, you know, this this place that is powered by this volcano, which, you know, obviously comes to to play a part later on. Which is really cool. Um, we got the large city built into the caldera. That was a new word for me, of the volcano and the huge lake of molten lava as a sea. Right with huge amounts of traffic coming in and and everything else and there's just enough sciencey stuff in there to make you believe it <laughs> whether whether it ever could work or not <laughs> yeah it's just put enough it's, really, it's neat though i really like it like i'm like okay this is cool yeah i think um does ships ever go into the lava yeah sometimes just just don't think about it yeah <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, that would make me. That would make. That would be hard for me to not think about it. I got to be honest here. Yeah, it's because you're not a mechanicum dude. You don't know the odds. So they, they probably all these computers have probably worked out exactly kind of the scientific kind of chances of it happening. And it's probably very slim the yeah. chance that it happens. Yeah, and we get. Uh, we find out that that Romu's taking Dahlia to meet Adept Zeph. Um, and that Adept Zeph is mostly anxious to meet her, but we don't know why. So we, we still don't know what's what's in line for Dahlia here, whether she's going to the good guys or the bad guys. But then we cut over to Maven again, um, where he's looking for this, this thing. And uh, <laughs> immediately, I like, I like the fact that it's immediate action in that he's been shot at with like lightning bolts smashes and all he right. can see is this spherical shaped thing with a weapon arms and a tail like thing uh, and then we get a bit of action as the um, the foot troops a little bit of bolter porn gotta get some yeah but it's, it's this, there's this uh, there's this thing out there that we're not 100% sure what it is and the fact it's spherical makes it slightly uh, exotic Right, uh, it's uh, it's a weird. It, it, I keep picturing. Uh, I mean, I I I I'm not. A, it's not. I mean, I keep picturing almost like a Skaven Doom Wheel, or like yeah, those things yeah. that they were riding around in Star Wars in the in the in the prequel trilogy, like that that round the thing. Joy, just, yeah, Joy Joybots and the everything else. Yeah, um, yeah. It's not until later we we get that full version of it where it has the tracks and it's a it's a circle with tracks. Um, which is yeah, it's very different from everything we see we see on on Mars, isn't it? Yep. 
but we get you know a short, as you say, a short bit of bolt of pawn uh, and some some knights firing and killing stuff, uh, which is really cool. Uh, and then the reactor explodes, and it's like, oh my god, what's going on? We don't know. I quite like the all the night bits feel like a big summer blockbuster film. Right. <laughs> I, I really get this that is, feel. We're getting the uh, we're getting the. Uh What's his name treatment here? The um, Michael Bay treatment. The, yep, exactly. Yeah, which is, which is kind of cool to read every now and then, particularly when the other bits uh, uh, calm down a bit. But yeah, we, we don't know what the heck's happening to those guys. Um, and we're back in the, the Magma City with Dahlia wandering around, just being amazed by everything's going on. I, get the, I got the feeling with this one that um, it was like, the old stories where someone traveled to the mystical East. Right. Like everything was all slightly strange and magical and weird. This is any story. This is Luke leaving Tatooine. This is. Yeah. Even more so though. Even more so. Like it was all, it wasn't just kind of like, I'm in a big city now. It was like, I'm in a different world universe. Just thrown out of completely out of her loop. But yeah, yeah, I suppose you, you just brought it down to, <laughs> <laughs> I suppose it is just that really, but you know, it's all good. But yeah, we, we finally meet adept Coriel Zeth, um, where we have this, she's got a metallic form that's classically womanly, which is a bit stranger, Mechanicum. I love how they all have their quirks too, because they point that out that it's a little strange, but then the one guy like has a normal voice modulator, so he sounds... Normal. Everybody's got their quirk, so I kind of think that's interesting. Yeah, which is which is funny for they're always talking about you know kind of getting away from humanity, uh, and yet they're always holding on to some part of their humanity, like each of them, which which is an interesting concept. I'm not really 100 percent sure what it says about them, really, but I'm sure they have their ideas. Yeah. Uh, in fact, there's one. There's a point later in the book where she there's, she like has a like almost human reaction, and I actually laughed out loud reading it because it was like, oh wow, look, there's something there's there's human left in there. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But it, it, it makes sure there's a link, I suppose. It stops them being too alien uh, and unfeeling. Uh, so we always will reflect. Oh yes, no, they are human, even though they're almost as far removed from humanity as they can be. They are still human. But I like the fact that Zeth's first comment to Dahlia was, you know, once she repeated it in speech rather than, rather than techno-linguistia. Yeah. Uh, was just a test. You know, her first thing was like, how does this work? And she was like, oh yeah, it's it's this. And it's like, oh, very good. <laughs> <laughs> now, na- now I can introduce myself to you. Uh, and now we can take you seriously. So it's like something. There's something deeper going on here. Yeah, she's needed for a purpose. Um, we also get to see the new sphere. Yes, uh, that is very cool. Yeah, and 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 we get the fact that it's not usual. So this this uh, this kind of floating information in the air around them is is not something that's followed through on Mars and becomes quite important later. As, again. Uh, but we get we get that breakdown that Dahlia sees 
technology as science rather than a religion. And, and we had that hint earlier, but we get a real view of it. Uh, so she's, yeah, she, she's got this, this, this opinion which the rest of Mars could actually find quite dangerous. She's yes. carrying around. She's carrying around a, a piece of information that would would damage the religious nature of Mars, and could break down social issues and everything else. So all of a sudden, it's like Dahlia is is a weapon, potentially, that that could just go off at any point. And and is that her most dangerous aspect? Yeah, that's yeah, and, and plus she's got all this weird new technology. So there's a lot of stuff over here that could make her dangerous. Yeah, she's she's in it. It's, it's an interesting place. We still don't know exactly what Seth, Zeth's after, um, but we know that Dahlia could cause major issues, uh, and still doesn't know what she's doing. And you know, it's almost a ticking time bomb, really. But that brings us right to the end of that chap that chapter. Yes, it does. And uh, well, I mean, I mean, right at the end, we should say, was it you? You will be part of the salvation of Mars, and yeah. we get first notion of the Akashic reader. So Zeth's up to something. Yeah, and it's and it's cool stuff going on here. I mean, she's really she. I mean, she's got plans to really bring Mars back to you know getting it up to a new golden age. She's got a lot of ambition. And a lot of plans and a lot of stuff going on. Uh, she's kind of dangerous. I mean, you can see why some of the other people are are, yeah. are worrying about her because she does seem to be, from what we're seeing here, one of the best and the brightest. And she doesn't follow the old. Rules. Yeah, it's like having like being progressive in the Middle Ages. Yes, like yeah, like, like they uh, like Galileo coming out. Was it uh, Galileo? No, not thinking of Copernicus. the wrong one. Copernicus, yeah, like Copernicus coming out and saying, "No, this is how the <laughs> this is how the heavens are, are, are ordered," and it, you know, that was it. Witch hunt, right? Yep, it's, there you go. It, you're you're on that level here potentially. Yeah, so we get to chapter three, and they're at Ascreus Mons, which is a volcano. Except they've got this place where they got the chamber of the first in here, and this is uh, it's the fortress of the Legio Tempestis. Um, it's one of the earliest on Mars, one of the biggest volcanoes, one of the most ancient and respected Titan orders. So all this stuff is here. And now basically the different legions are together because that thing attacked them and it attacked yeah. uh, in a way that reminded the guys who got attacked of the, you know, the Legio Mortis. And so basically here in chapter two, what you're getting is this, the great legions have been called together. There are obvious divisions between there, and the guy who's in charge is sort of, you know, you know, thinking about how these divisions are getting worse. Things are getting crazy. This meeting, uh, you know, they're, they're meeting about this attack from the last chapter. Um, the Knights Tyrannus suspect Legio Mortis, but they can't prove anything. Uh, and then Legio, uh, the the guy uh, Camulos, I guess. Um, from Legio Mortis, he says, and here's basically where, because the, there's a lot of this back and forth and who's in charge, and, you know, it's not necessarily super important to the story who's doing what, but, they, you know, they're talking back and forth, and you're seeing people getting petty and sniping, but Camulo says, we're all servants of the war master, aren't we? 
and Cavalario is like, <laughs> wait a minute, and this yeah. is where we get to this part that I liked reading. Um, and he looks at it, and he's like, no, 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 wait a minute, and uh, he goes, I'm not, or he goes, he goes, no, we're, you know, we're, we're, we serve the emperor, not the war master, and he goes, you're splitting hairs, aren't you? And he says, no, repeated Cavalario, I'm not. I know that your legio has pledged a great deal of its strength to the 63rd expedition and to the war master. I believe that to be dangerous. And Camillus looks at him, dangerous to swear loyalty to the glorious warrior who commands the military might of the Imperium while the emperor retreats to the dungeons beneath his palace? To swear loyalty to the hero who will finish the job the emperor is too busy to finish? That's dangerous? The war master is a sublime warrior, agreed Cavalario, but it would be a mistake to think of those armies as belonging to him. Our first loyalty must be to the Emperor, and only a blind man could fail to see how this division is affecting Mars. And he's basically talking about how this is going back and forth, and uh, it basically starts to stretch to the point where he's like, you know what, you are really stepping close to speaking heresy here. Yeah, um, definitely. It's a, it's, a, it's a microcosm of all the things we've been over in those first books uh, with the major guys. Yeah, because, I mean, it literally gets to, uh, uh, oh, that's right, where he's t- he turns around and says how the, uh, you know, the fabricator general has pledged all this stuff to the war master, and he says that it's rebellion you're talking about. I mean, they yeah. literally, you Spread know, out. Yeah, yeah, the emperor's here and he has enslaved us to his will. I mean, this is right here, and eventually looks at him and he says, you need to choose a side and choose the right one or it'll devour even you, Storm Lord. So and, it's getting it, vicious. Yeah, I mean, we know that Mortis was with the Warmaster. We know that Kelbor Hell um, uh, gave him stuff. You know, gave him armor and everything else. Well, if you weren't uh, certain, it, you know, you can tell it now. Yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, but but you know, the Legio uh, Tempestus don't know this, right? You know, so so they're they're kind of it's, it's easy to, to to kind of forget that in a little way. But they're kind of like, you know, why are you doing this? It's a bit weird. You know, he's just, well, come back. Just step away, think about it, and you'll come back to our way of thinking. But, yeah. Um, yeah. So then, um, after all this goes on, it cuts back to... Just before we leave off that, it oh, does yeah. talk about the, the Deus Tempestus, which is the warlord, I think, um, the, the, the big titan that's being refitted. Right, <clears throat> which hasn't taken part in the Great Crusade, and the Great Crusade goes on for a hundred and ninety odd years. So this is a two hundred year refit on this Warlord <laughs> Titan. So this thing must have been absolutely screwed. Um, yeah, and and also it gives you an idea of how much power there is on Mars. So these are all the things that are not out because it talks about this being just the Tharsis region. So I, I think we can assume that other regions on Mars have their own forges, which aren't maybe quite as grand. I mean, this is where the... The, um, the biggest and the brightest are. Yeah, exactly. And this is where the, the leader of Mars is. But it, it does show that Mars must be brimming with weapons. Absolutely, oh, yeah. just off the scale in terms yeah. of power. Yep, absolutely. And that's that, I mean, that's something that, I mean, it just, it's just, it's sort of amazing. Even to hear how much stuff they're just cranking out in their factories, you're just like, wow. You know, yeah. it's, there, it's, it's frightening the amount of, the amount of, of, of firepower these places have. 
But uh, so we jump across. Now we're going to jump to a couple of different things here. We're back over by Coriel Zeth. And uh, you know what? Let's hold on. Let's finish this. Uh, let's finish what's going on with the. Uh, oh, no. No, that's where we're, we're supposed to be. So Zeth gives Dahlia a group to work with and gives her these ancient plans and gives her seven rotations to build what's there. Is that seven days, seven weeks? I don't know what, it's, what a rotation they mean by. But. Okay. At first, they don't even know what it is. Like, they're all looking at it. Nobody knows what it is. Dahlia looks at it and instinctively gets it. She doesn't know how to make it work, but she understands exactly what it is. Um, let's let's uh, pull a quick little break from the story here just to introduce the characters. Uh, you've got Mellison, the tall, middle-aged woman with very handsome American woman. Uh, you got Zush. I guess that's his name, Zush. And he's from the Indonesian block. He's only about a meter tall, so he's a little, just about four feet. You've got uh, Severine, the pale with the tight ponytail. And you've got Caxton with the boyish face, friendly. And he's from the Urals in, uh, on Earth, like Dahlia. So this is the team, the five of them. Uh, and they're supposed, they've got, so this is the test. They've got seven rotations to build this thing. Okay, so these, the plans are exactly transcribed from the guy who originally did them. And the transcribers do a, a, an extremely exacting job according to the book. In fact, wherever he wrote something and scribbled it out, they wrote it and scribbled it out exactly the same. So it makes it difficult to read these things. And, you know, Dolly is the only one who gets it. Like, everyone, no one can make head or tails out of it. She's like, well, it's obvious, isn't it? It's supposed to increase your brain capacity. And she thinks... She knows how to make it work because it doesn't work right now. Uh, they can't make it work, but she thinks she knows how to do it. Again, this whole idea that she can just jump to logical conclusions and make things, you know, figure things out and make them make them happen. Yeah, and it's uh, there's a, there's hints that it's slightly more than just um, the ability to see that. It's maybe something. Uh, uh, more um psychic based right yeah she's yeah they she's got a connection and that's basically what comes up next is the uh what's his name Ipluvian maximal maximal is a friend with coriel zeth and uh, his reactor was the one that was destroyed in chapter two yeah and uh so he comes over to see her and he's like nobody has gotten this thing to work in over a thousand years and so what zeth tells him is that she believes that Dali is in tune with the Akasha, which is the wellspring of all knowledge that resides in the ether, which yeah. is we know as the warp. So basically she's got a direct tap into the source of all knowledge and information, which is why she can make these jumps. I love Maximal. He's got like a normal voice. This thing with their little idiosyncrasies and stuff she talks about. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, he's got a he's got a perfectly normal human like a nice, you know, sexy man voice. And she's just like, "Why would you bother with that?" But everyone, you know, and they I, they do point out every one of them has a little thing that they keep from their humanity. Yeah, they hold on to, yeah. Yeah. Um but yeah, it's it's interesting to see cuz Maximal's not not certain about the use of a psyker um for when the machine's up and running. Uh, oh, right. Uh, and and you know the idea that the empath knows everything then and can disseminate information, um, and he's he's not sure at all. And Zeth's like, 
no, it'll be fine. You know, it's it's what we need to do to get this information, and it's it it shows you how easily that path then gets trodden down. Right. Well, and she wants to be able because she says if she you know she can tap into all knowledge, past and future, without superstition. You know, and uh, I like that she you know because she doesn't buy the whole omnisaya thing, and it's kind of obvious here. They're setting that bits up. Um, and then the conversation turns to the fabricator general, how he won't like what she's doing. And Maxwell's like, you don't want to make any more enemies. And she's like, you know, well, you know, whatever. Uh, she's, she's very confident, you know, and I, li- I do like that about her. She's very confident. She's not afraid to try things. Maybe that's the dwarf player in me. You know, you always got the, the young upstarts who want to try a new piece of machinery. When it's you know it's not it's hardly been tested for three hundred years. How could you call it you know uh, reliable? Yeah, uh, and I'm not too sure whether she just doesn't think that she'll get found out until kind of it's all set up and everything will be all right, or or how far people would go against her even if she did found out. I kind of get the feeling that she's like, yeah, well, that never happen. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I she thinks she's being you know safe and and secure but i also think that there's a bit of her that comes across as well you know everybody here i mean look look how thirsty everyone is for knowledge if she can hand them all that knowledge how she got it they're not going to care at that you know they when when i show you the ends there you've already got them the means will have been justified you might yeah. look at it now if you haven't gotten to the end you might say no way that end does not justify your means but once you've already gotten there, it's you know it's it's easier to ask forgiveness than permission, and I think that's yeah. kind of her whole thing. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, but she also, I mean, because Maximal says, you know, um, be careful to make enemies because they may cost us dearly, and he's talking about outright being attacked by Mortis, Crom, Cal. Right. And that's the, like, yeah. That's yeah. The, where this goes so, here. That's the yeah. This next bit is you know it's be careful, be careful what you're doing. And she's a little bit like, are you sure? They wouldn't go that far. We we get into this discussion of Maximal believing that Crom uh, was behind the uh, this attack on the uh, reactor. Yeah, not just Crom, but the Fabricator General. He thinks is behind it too because they're tight. Yeah, absolutely. But that Crom's built it, and with yeah, with the fabricator general's kind of knowledge and, and maybe agreement and, and what have you, so he's worried that they're taking a dark path. Um, yeah, and it might be it, artificial intelligence, and that that this is a secretly b- something being built for Horus. Yeah, uh, partly because of the names of the uh, the Kanban uh, Kaban, sorry, um, mm-hmm. the the links to the name of Horus in the old Gyptus vaults and. Various other right. links, and then uh, also the fact that this, you know, the, his the attack on his reactor weakens the legions that he helps support with energy. Yeah. Which he, the, him being attacked is the perfect thing to happen for Mortis and Crom and the Fabricator General. So it just all seems to make sense. But that's the end of chapter three. So we jump into chapter four then and uh, take it away, my friend. Yeah, we get to meet uh, Kelbor Hall. Um, Fabricator well, General. I mean, we well, we saw him in Battle for the Abyss, but we, we get to meet him properly. For like as it two w- minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Uh, uh, and he, here's a guy who's, as we said, he's removed just about as much humanity 
from himself as he can. Uh, and he's sitting there in his huge um, forge. And in fact, the uh, the hardback book's got a lovely picture, which I, which is Kelbor Hall in it. Um, and yeah, very mechanical. I love that when he's around other people, he wears this human mask because he is so, so much robot at this point. And I just think yeah. that's, that's a really great and little little symbol there, where he just he. You know, he's not, he's so not human anymore, and he so is, doesn't care. Like, you know, he puts on this fake mask to look more human and to relate to us, but he is something wholly other. Yeah, and he's, he's, he's so wholly other, and yet he's proud of being wholly other, and he's also really bitter about stuff that's going on as well. So, no matter how far, I mean, he's removed himself from humanity as much as anyone on Mars. And yet these still very emotional human traits are super strong, probably even stronger than they were as a human. Well, that's what makes it easy to corrupt. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so he's, he's, yeah, I mean, we get, we get loads of nice descriptions as he's uh, looking out over his forge and Mars and reflecting on the whole situation. We get a nice little overview, don't we, of, of what's been going on. Um, Right. Uh, and uh, Ambassador Megla- Melgator uh, comes, to, comes to visit him. <clears throat> Excuse me. But we got um, Crom, Malevolus, and Regulus, who's the emissary right. to Horus. So come to meet uh, Hal uh, and bring in news of the War Master who may be in line to follow another route. Um, you know, these are the first confirmed kind of of what we know what's going on. And he even offers, uh, Regis even offers up STC plans he's obtained on Aurelius uh, right. as, as an offering, as a, as a, a, a gift to smooth the... Uh, I still get trouble understanding what the STC stuff is. And I know we've explained it, we've talked about it before. Heck, we might have been talking about it in the beginning of this episode because we recorded part of it last week before Skype went nutty on us. But... Uh, it's just, it's just it's, super technology from from no, when you know it's it's standard template constructs. So we've seen that uh, they don't understand technology at this level. They are just doing all the things they know makes it work, and they're praying to it and everything else. Standard template constructs are back when they knew how to make stuff, so they can set up these like a standard template construct of a rhino. Uh, is a system to build rhinos and they know how to work the the STC so therefore they know how rhinos get made okay it's as simple as to kind of do it every time they find this new thing they can go oh new technology that we've lost for thousands of years but now we know how to make again because this thing tells us how to make it okay so they're they're extremely valuable it's effect it's it's the most effective way of getting new um, new technologies because of this aversion to changing anything, to modifying anything, or building anything new. So, yeah, finding STCs are, are huge for the Mechanicum, and that's what a lot of their troops are out there trying to do. Okay, I got you. Because I know uh, it came up in the other books where they would find things like this, or they thought they found things like this, and I was always like, what? what? Yeah, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head um, what Aurelius was, but there we go. Uh, I can't can't think for the life of me but we have uh we've got um 
we got two uh, STCs, and it's for uh, an hitherto unknown mark of Astartes battle plate, and another for the production of lightweight solar generators capable of supplying the power needs of an Epsilon 5 pattern forge complex. So we're talking about, yeah, the Astartes battle plate is pretty huge in itself, but a, uh, a solar generators capable of powering a huge forge complex means that they can almost drop forges on other planet and stuff and and let it go you know you can spread humanity so much quicker or go where you want to go they're pretty huge pieces of equipment they're talking about here right right i do Ooh. like the um i do like when he's talking about it i can get you into these places he's like what how can you do this i have the information right here but if you want i'll just delete it and it'll be gone no 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 yeah, that's. I mean, that's it. That's that's what the deal's for. We're starting to really push the buttons on, on the guys here. We have. Um, it's interesting that that Hal's never really trusted and liked the Emperor. Right, right from the start, he's he's been a bit anti him, and this is this is all in the chat that's going on. Uh, and we've got the offer from Horus is to you know don't worry about what the Emperor said. That's all rubbish. You come with me. I'll let you do whatever the heck you want. All we want is for the materials and you to supply us and join our side. And uh, and when we need you, we need you to control the whole of Mars for us. Right. And um, all this in in you know in, as you say, in answer to having the keys to that forbidden vault, which is a somehow. Horace got his hands on the, uh, the, uh, the, the how to get it. <clears throat> it didn't take how long to, to jump on that deal. Oh, no, not as... Yeah. <laughs> you say, I could erase this, but that won't be necessary, will it? No, nope, no, nope, no, no, yeah. nope. <laughs> Don't do that. Don't erase nothing. I'm ready to go. I mean, yeah, they're, they're all in at this point. It's great. Yeah, absolutely. And we jump back to uh, Dahlia's team. So we're five days into the project, and we're at the crunch point on whether they will succeed or not. Um, and you get that feeling reading it that this whole team is built around Dahlia. So everyone there is to kind of build her up, allow her to do her things. Yeah, this is a perfect team. Everybody's got a very specific – you've got an organizer. You've got a perfect fabricator. You've got a – you know, I mean, every – Everything that she could possibly need, there's a there's one of this crew ha can do it. Yeah, and and that's it. And they're all under her. They're all working towards what she needs. Um, and we get to the point where that that final problem is facing them, and they know that if they get that, then it will work. And Dahlia ends up in this trance-like state, and her subconscious goes into overdrive, and um, and they find out what they need to do. Uh, and a reading that it's it's hard to tell whether that is just this latent um, psychic ability she has, or whether that's the uh, touch of the emperor, or something else. It's it's left a little bit open that. Yeah. Well, I thought anyway. Yeah, they left. Yeah, they left that open definitely to some interpretation. Here, I'm looking at this right now. They got the description. So Zush, I guess is his name. He's an engineer of rare talent. So he can do, you know, uh, he can do amazing work in a short time. 
Caxton has an intuitive grasp how machine parts fit together with an uncanny knack of appreciating the efforts of even the smallest change in the circuit. Uh, Severine was a draftsman extraordinaire. She could take Dahlia's quick sketches and turn them into perfect blueprints. You know, and um, and then uh, Mellison is is this uh, sort the of the, yeah, she's the one who makes sure everyone's on task. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, they've assembled the A-team here. Absolutely. And uh, and I say it, it works, and, and we get to the point where we have the finished article, and Zeth gets very excited about uh, what is it? Um, a gift that will allow her to lift the Imperium into a golden age of scientific progress not seen since humanity set forth from its birth rock. You had that part marked too, huh? <laughs> Just reading it off the, off the page uh, itself. But it's quite interesting because... Not you know shortly before that written in the thing you have uh, you have Dahlia talking about her faith that the, it will work she knows it will work she believes right and and they almost shout at her and say but you, empirical testing scientific scientific must be scientific kind of thing and yet you've got a mechanicum the people who are telling you that are the same people who will say prayers over stuff to get it to work which right. just shows that kind of all along the line right from the start the imperial truths been you know things have been butting up against it from well, right from the start well, and look at zeth she doesn't believe in the mumbo jumbo but she's got dahlia who just says i just know it's going to work through no si-, you know she's like yeah. you know she wants to open up to pure science she just knows it'll work it's like well yeah because she's got a, she you know her mind has got a a, a natural bond with the ether or whatever the uh, the Akasha, which what the hell is that? I mean, you know, there's no, yeah. there's, you know, for for her claim of not believing in the Omnisaya and being pure science, she's bringing someone in who she thinks has a mystic connection to the to the tap of you know uh, intangible uh, all knowledge. So, which and, and they accept that the Imperium can do certain things. So it's it's this this hypocrisy is there as well as it is in the Imperium, right? It, it's shown throughout. Which is quite cool, but yeah, we got we've got them working on their machine. It's ready to go. Yep, and then we jump into chapter five. We do, and we're with the fabricator, Locum Kane. Now, um, do we want to take a quick break before we jump into? Cha- we've done four chapters so far. There's eight in this. Uh, yeah, go for it. So we'll take a quick break, folks. Go get a glass of water. Go pee. Do what you need to do. Come back. We'll be back. Hi, I'm Graham McNeil, I'm the author of False Gods, and this is After Ulinar. Chapter 5, we're back. Back in the back. Mechanicum. Knowledge is power. Here we go, so Fabricator Locum Kane. Um... The fabricator locum works for the fabricator general. Okay, and uh, I think this this he's an interesting character because he's got sort of a weird non-job. It's like it's like he's his right hand man, but uh, the fabricator general sort of treats him sort of poorly, almost like a lackey. It's a weird position the way they describe it. But basically, you know what he's yeah, doing. Yeah, that's that's. Um, it, I mean, it says it, now he spent less and less time with his master, so. 
that's probably more a reflection of where um, Locum Kane is and Kelbar Hal is. So we saw in the first books that when we were approaching this fan, there were divisions in the Legion and Locum was getting talked to less and less by certain people. Aha, uh-huh, okay. So it's, I think it's more a reflection that Kelbar right. Hal's moving away from, from the Imperium. Okay. No, you're probably right. Um, oh, I like this guy's idiosyncrasy too. His augmentations are hidden. He looked human. <laughs> Everybody else like put it all on the outside and everyone looked very robotic. All of his stuff was hidden inside him under the skin. So he looked normal, but he was still augmented all to heck. So I thought that was, I mean, I, I, I like the little idiosyncrasies that they keep pointing out here. That's a great touch from Graham McNeil to just make sure that there's this weird thing that everybody holds on to some strange bit of their humanity in one way or another. Yeah, allows you know? it to show that these well, it allows you to uh, to get you know to interact with them as readers, but also allows lots of little hooks and things like that as well. Yep, exactly. But so now uh, the salamanders aren't getting properly supplied, and that's sort of what the problem is here. Um, now I'm going to break this chapter up a little bit, only because it, it's one of these things jumping back and forth between what's going on here with Kane and the Fabricator General and with. Zeth. So uh, sure. basically what happens is he goes to Kelbor Hall and he's like, uh, there's a weird pattern here. Um, people who are act- you know, basically if there were supply problems, the farther out you go is where the supply problem should be. I mean, dictating basic logic. It should be easy to get supplies yeah. if you're closer. But that's not what's happening. Anybody who is directly working in support of Horus and not saying, I mean, because they all support Horus, but anyone who is doing exactly, you know... The, on mission with Horus, On yeah. mission with Horus, they have no supply issues. And those who Horus is sending out on other missions away from him, they're having supply issues. And that makes no sense. There's no logical explanation for this. That is, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And he tells him this, and we all know why. Uh, unfortunately, now, by bringing this to... The fabricator general's attention. You've basically told him you noticed a problem, so either he's going to bring him in or he's going to take him out because those are the only options you really have at this point. You yeah, know, definitely. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and that's basically all that goes there. Then we're back to the the well, device. Yeah, Isn't I mean, there was one little cool little bit oh, yeah. um, where Kane was talk. Kane's. Uh, passing through his forge, which is um, talking about uh, the Fabricated General's forge. Oh, right, right. Only, only the Imperial Palace on Terra stood mightier. So that that is the kind of level of power we're talking about with the Mechanicum here. Okay, nice. And the Imperial Palace is a, is a mahusive thing. It's built into the, um, into the mountains of... Uh, uh, the Urals, isn't it? Yeah, so yeah. it's a huge, huge place. Yeah, I mean, it's it's they're bigger than the mountains, aren't they? Because I know, in fact, in the next book we're covering, one of the first stories talks about how they flattened, like they oh, took we, down half yeah. a mountain just to just to start building up defenses around the castle, the, the the palace. Yeah, it's the whole mountain range of Everest and all that. I think. Yeah, is what we're talking That's about. Where yeah, the it's, built, lives. it's built into that set of mountains. It's bigger than them. But that mountain range, whole That's range. Crazy. I, I, yeah. 
Oh, yes. yes it's, it it's, it's wonderful. But it's, it's another thing where I, I know what that place looks like, and I, hear, and, I, and I read the descriptions, and I see what they did, and I still can't, I can't wrap my head around it. I mean, I guess it's, you know, it, I guess I have a problem with size because I still, you know, they talk about the Titans and I always have trouble wrapping my head around that. It's one of those things you sort of, I guess you got to see to believe, but it's just, it's, it's fascinating to me the way that they, the grandiose scales that they work on uh, in this universe. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, okay, let's jump back. The device is, this is going to make, you know, the Akashic reader work. Okay. Um, so they go into Zeth's forge, and Zeth brings her into her forge. That's their mo- the, the adept's most private work. Few people get in there, so it's kind of a big deal. Um, yep. And she goes in, there's this silver cylinder, and it's 50 meters tall. And um, I, I, this is a great part. <laughs> She's looking over at Zeth's servitors and just sort of like, oh, we could fix this and this and this and make them better. And they're like her personal servitors, things that Zeth herself made. And she's like, yeah, I can and it's it's not like she's looking at it thinking these need to be improved or how can I help the boss? It's just second nature to her to look at something and be like that can be better, and I know exactly how, and I, I like that. And um, and yeah. someone tells her she's a regular uh, standard. What is it? They tells her standard she, standard template construction. Yeah, so, she's an STC basically. Yeah, that 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 should be. You've seen how. You know, Kane reacted, not Kane, um, Hell reacted to STCs. It shows you how much of a powerful thing she could be. Right, how valuable she is to the to, yeah. the, to the work. So they go down in the forge, and Dahlia hears uh, whispers that nobody else hears, not even Romu 31, who is way more sensitive to these types of things and more augmented than obviously her human compatriots. Uh, but Zeth doesn't even hear it, it seems. Um, but they know that the voices are there. Zeth knows the voices are there, but she can't hear it. But she's like, "Oh, you can hear it, huh?" She's like, "Yeah, it's because you're 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 in touch with it." And it's yeah, it's also a lot colder than they expect as well. So you get that whole feeling that there's a that like the warp's strong here or, or what have you. Right. Um. So then they go into the chamber, and it's a 600 meter wide dome. And all along the inside of the dome, and I just keep picturing like, you know, you see these inside of the domes where they've got all the little panels on it. But instead of panels, each one has got like a little cradle type thing to hold a psyker. And there's thousands of them all hooked up inside this dome, layer after layer, circle after circle, all hooked up into this dome. And all the connections lead to this golden throne in the center of the chamber. And that's pretty much where the chapter ends. Is there any, I mean, okay, I saw the phrase, uh, the golden throne, and I had to, is, am I missing a connection? Is there supposed to be a connection? I mean, is, you know. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. I mean. I mean, you could have called it, it could have been a platinum throne. It could have been a, you know, a diamond throne if it was just for, you know, I mean, granted, gold is a good uh, conductor, a much better conductor than those other things. But when you say the golden throne in this, in this universe, yep. there's only one I think of. So, I mean, yeah, you- I mean, maybe it's a, a kind of symbolic thing about the power of what's going on. Um, you know, the, the being that sits on, you know, the golden capital V, you know, golden throne of the emperor, and then this guy's going to get all this knowledge and stuff. 
Well, because when he's on the golden throne at the end of all this, he's keeping the Astronomicon alive. He's he you know, he's got the, I mean, his mental ability is this, his mental power is staggering. And now they've got this golden throne where they're going to get all knowledge. I mean, that was what I assumed it was. I just wanted to make sure I wasn't missing anything. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's the obvious kind of thing. Where yeah, it's the obvious thing to think. So I would have thought that was a yeah a symbolism attached. Okay, maybe they just like gold. <laughs> maybe, but that's the end of of chapter five. So we're chugging along here now a little bit, getting into chapter th- six. Things are starting to uh, come to a head as they're getting ready to test the reader. So. What we got going yes. on here? So we got uh, a Dahlia in the group in the in the room, surrounded by these thousands of psychers. Uh, I like uh, Zush makes the bullhorn sign to ward off spirits. Um, <laughs> so I, is that the old the rock sign? Is that right. that one? The bullhorns? Yeah. Or yeah, I'm not. It's not completely described, but um, I like that. And then again, he's thrown down for for in, in a way that only true atheists can have a go at somebody uh, for having any form right. of belief in anything which i like um <clears throat> but we get the also get the views here of the, the humans we get a little bit of chat they're, 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 there's a great deal of mistrust in this room they're not sure what's going on this is a bit all a bit further than just building a machine this is their way out of their their depth here aren't they oh yeah you know um i do and like then, the discussion yeah, on the new sphere. Yeah. Because she can see it. In fact, I got this little part here I got marked. Um, she's talking about energy transference, the the evolution of human cognition and communication through the new sphere. And she goes, is that what I see between you and Romu 31? Zeth nodded. Indeed, it was, Dahlia. To those new spherically modified, information and communication are one and the same, a form of collective consciousness that emerges from the interaction of human minds and where knowledge becomes visible in shoals of light. So why can I see it? I haven't been modified. No, you've not. But your connection with the ether renders you sensitive to such things. And as you develop your abilities, you will see more and more of the information that surrounds you. So that's, you know, it's kind of like as she's opening up, it's working. And then the other guys are like, uh, isn't it dangerous? And like, Yeah, to, to someone who doesn't know what they're doing. But so, of course, yeah, it's dangerous to someone who doesn't know what they're doing. I know what I'm doing. Um. What could go wrong? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We, At least um, it's not raining. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's it. Yeah. Um, I mean, at this point, you've got the mentions of the theta waves as well, and I'm just trying to find the bit in the book where it talks about the theta waves. But I've made a note that that's a connection to the Golden Throne as well. Okay. Um, but... Yeah, we got this description of this dude on this golden throne, and yeah, you know, nothing's nothing could go wrong because everyone knows exactly what's doing, and it's all fixed, and um, and 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 they're all they're all trying to do the right thing, so it must work. Um, and then we move on to uh, back to the the tech priest and engine seers are in the 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 knights. <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, are in with the knights. Oh yeah, that's where Maven. Maven's there, and Maven, Maven just desperately wants. I was trying to find his name. Sorry, Raf. Raf Maven. Yeah, he desperately wants to go after that thing that he found that nobody quite believes he saw because he's. It's. I I think there's a bit of an honor thing there because everyone else like nobody saw this, and he's like, I'm not crazy. Now he has to go find this thing and kill it, not just because it's dangerous, but to prove that he's not an idiot. Yeah, 
yeah, uh, yeah, to prove that he's not untrustworthy. And that that young one who's always seeing stuff and wants to go out and fight and all this, and he, he wants to be respected. Right. And again, we get we get a huge sense of the the link between the 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 rider and the knight and the uh, the spirit of the knight as well, because he's there uh-huh. like. It wants to go out. It wants to go out, but he's having to to sit back and try and. Well, yeah, because even later when recover. he gets into it and it starts going, like, literally pulling him. In yeah. Weird, like, it, this thing just wants to go on its own. If I let it go, you know, it'll the machine will lead me. I won't have to steer it. It's like, oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, this this is a machine that was going to get scrapped as well. Mavens had to beg and beg and beg for them to try and fix it. Yeah. So it, it was due for the scrap heap, but um, luckily one of our heroes has managed to to, to resurrect it. Absolutely. Uh, and we, we again, I, I do like the link between because you've have, you have got humans here. These guys are human, you know, with a few like attachments and stuff, so they can pilot it. But all the way through, you've got this link between like humanity and technology and where the lines cross. Because while they're in it, they become part of the machine almost. And they're getting those psychosomatic, um, you know, injuries from their machines. Right. But as there's a real interesting kind of look as, as humanity and machine, and where one ends and where one um, <clears throat> where one hits. But uh, I mean, he believes that this the thing that he was firing at the the, the machine had void shields rather than iron shields. Right, you know, knights have these iron shields, which are you know, a lesser form of protection, whereas um, titans have void shields, which are huge things, really, and shouldn't be on something that size. Right, um, and if they figured out how to do that, that that is that is something that they're like, whoa, you know. Yeah, not to mention that he has this thorough belief that it was sentient. You know, this isn't just a dude; it didn't react like a human would. Uh, it reacted like like an, an artificial intelligence would. Right. But, uh, yeah, and when we leave that there, we know we're going to come back to him. Oh, right. Yeah. Uh, this, we, this is not done. <laughs> oh, no. This is, this is one of our heroes gearing up, going through his uh, time of trial. Um, but we jump back to Kelbar Hell. This walking, is cool. Yeah. Walking through his, um, all the, the, the vaults trying to find the right door. The vaults of Morovec. That's the one. And he uh, went there with the emperor. Yeah, we but get once that really he walked cool out. <laughs> Do you think this is one of the reasons he's so pissed at the emperor? Do you think there's some jealousy to that to the emperor's sort of power cuz Kelbor Hall is the most powerful being oh, yeah. and he walks down there with the emperor. The emperor seals it. He walks back. He knows he did this. Nowhere in his databanks can he remember how to get there. How he got there, how he got back. He just knows yeah, right? it happened. It's one of those things that if you haven't got a problem with the emperor, it isn't a problem. But as soon as you've got a problem with him, then it's like, and he did this, and he did that, and then the jealousy of the power, the fact he had the power over him, he was that much more powerful than Hal. Right. There was nothing he could do about it. It's only going to make that bitterness worse. And so, so yeah. When they get there, it's really cool, though, because they stop. And, you know, and Regulus, of course, Regulus is being a typical, you know, tool of the dark forces and i mean tool in every way possible you sure you don't <laughs> want to turn back because you know we don't have to do this like make the guy commit 
Oh yeah, they're saliv- salivating. Exactly, but that's that whole thing where it's like the, you, when this happens, and I mean, Regulus knows what's going on. You don't want anybody. Be, I didn't realize this would happen. No, no, no. So he stops. You sure you want to do this? You know, he was branded a witch, and I love this part. A witch? I did not. But what difference does it make? After all, any sufficiently advanced technology is likely to be mistaken mistaken for magic by the ignorant. Yeah. And I love that because that's that's right out of uh, Connecticut Yankee and King Arthur's Court from Mark Twain. Um, it kind of reminds me of it. It made me think of the orc gun. What is it? The shock attack gun? Is that what it's called? Yeah, shock attack gun. It's Where beautiful. they just open a hole in the warp and nobody knows how. The, like you know, the Imperium has gotten this machine from the orcs. Nobody knows how this thing works. It's one of the most powerful weapons in the galaxy. Yeah, it's uh, it's. Yeah, I mean the orcs do that a lot. There's a lot to be. There's a lot of evidence that could suggest that orcs are a naturally psychic race, but their psychic power works differently through their belief system. Um, but yeah, but yeah, there's I just that. Think it's really cool because I've always liked that gun. That's uh, my favourite thing in the whole of 40k. That gun. Um, the the orc gun. Yeah, it's not in, uh, the shock attack gun. Yeah, Fire, firing snotlins at terminators and having them appear in the terminator's armour. Yeah, and freaking so, out because they've just gone through the warp. Oh, I love that yeah. thing. I, I, that's that's my favorite thing about the Orc book, and it just it always cracks me up. So glad they brought it back for the later editions. Yeah, it's, uh, in its original form. Yeah, so we got um, we got Kel by Hell here. We got that story of the Emperor going down and wiping the thing. I do love the fact that um, he stood at the door after locking this vault for sixteen minutes and fifteen seconds. And he just stood there with his hand on this door. Right. And there's no explanation of why that, that time is significant. And I can't think of anything. Maybe someone does know the significance they said of that. It was 16 minutes and 50 seconds, you said? Uh, I think it was 16 minutes, 15 seconds. Let me just have a little... Double uh, check. He placed, he placed his hand on the sealed entrance to the vault with his eyes closed and stood as immobile as a statue for 16.15 minutes before turning and leading his warriors back to the Okay, surface. well, 0.15 minutes wouldn't be... No. Uh, okay, I, I got it slightly wrong, Dave. No, 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 because <laughs> I, I, I didn't think about it, but now that you mentioned it... Uh, it's, a, it's a very specific... That's uh, 9,609 seconds. That's good math. Oh, no, no, not, I'm sorry, no, not 9,000. That's uh, 960, 969 seconds. So, oh, see, now... God... Damn it, Greg. Now I'm going to be thinking about this. It's interesting, isn't it? Uh, hopefully <laughs> someone will be able to tell us what that's all about. Because uh, maybe maybe it's something really obvious, but I, I just, I'm not, I sometimes not very good at picking those up. So, um, yeah, but that's an interesting little little snippet. Yeah, because, um, I mean, there's the obvious things, but that, that doesn't fit any of the numbers I can think of. Because I know 316 is 6 cubed, 666, six, six, that kind of crap. But, yeah. uh, no. no, it's just... It's definitely an interesting 969 seconds. That's why I said when you said, that's why I asked exactly, because, yeah, because 0.15 is nine seconds, so. Sounds like a number that might mean something. Yeah. But but we have, um, we get some information on Moravec. So, as you said, it's branded a witch and, and all that technology and stuff. Um, and this, he was on a quest to create this greater human intelligence before being defeated and fleeing to Mars before disappearing. Uh, in doing so, he, he deals with demons uh, which I think is the way that Horace maybe found out about this. Right. Potentially, potentially, you know, we know that Horace has had dealings with demons. 
at this point in the story or, or has come close to with Erebus. So there's potential that this is how we found out or was given the information that way. Um, but it, it does create, and later on, we're going to talk about some interesting things with the Emperor. Uh, and it's kind of like almost must come back to this bit because the Emperor knew exactly what he was doing here. And because the last, the final act was to seal the pact. Um, sorry, the final kind of thing he did was he, uh, the coming of the Omnisire was the last prophecy of Moravec before he disappeared. Aha. So that in itself, he believed in a technological singularity and blah, blah, blah. Now, when we get to the end of the book, we find that the emperor maybe knew a bit more about this than we previously thought. And I want so, to talk about that when we get to the end because yeah, and that's and, amazing. This is the type was, of stuff that eats up, and I love the Emperor no matter how evil his his the, his actions can be at times just because well, of crap yeah. like this. My thoughts on the Emperor have changed a fair amount uh, in the last few months uh, before and after reading this book. But that's certainly something that, I'll probably forget right at the end, but Moravec was was uh, influential in that that prophecy. So Hold yeah, on, we've got. Uh, I'm writing this down so we don't forget it. Good man. All right, it's right on my last page of notes in the last chapter in huge letters. We won't forget it. Um, um, and then, yeah, so and then we get the, the the prize is this scrap code. I love so, the term scrap code. It reminds me of something almost nurgly. You know, it's just like this bits yeah. of corruption. Um, it's, yeah, it's 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 very descriptive term. You you get the feel of what it is automatically. I, uh, I love it. Can I? Do you have anything you wanted? Because I, I have a part here, Mark, that I wanted to read just because it was. Go for it. I loved it. Uh, you know, deviations and errors began appearing, compounding one another until the code began to take a new alarming shape, something twisted and unnatural, a scrap code that howled in his oral perceptors and began corrupting the subsystems. So the scrap code, and throughout the book, you hear how it sounds like it's screaming, the, like the weird, I, I'm picturing this static, you know, like this weird static noise that you get, except inside that staticky noise, that electronic transmission is this weird chanting almost, uh, you know, from the from you know blood for the blood god or whatever it is. But then he says, "What is this code? It's corrupt." No fabricator general said Regulus. This is code freed from the shackles of the natural laws of man. Spliced with the power of the warp, it will open your senses to the true workings of the galaxy. And he says it's painful like fire. He says only for a little bit and you'll feel better. And it just it works through him. I just I love the weird con the, the weird contradiction. No, this is the true code. Uh, freed from the natural laws. Well, that makes it completely unnatural right there. <laughs> it's freed from natural laws and can do whatever it wants. It's just it's weird. It's living code. It's, you know. Yeah, it's so that's freed from the natural laws uh, if you live in that dimension. So what we've got is demon infused binary, effectively. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, fascinating. This is one of the coolest things in this book is this descriptions of the scrap code and how it works. I love it. Yeah, because again, it can it gets used and used and used through the books, which is cool. Uh, I like the fact that Kelbar Howe, you know, he's the the top dog. You can bet that he's probably got the best defenses, personal kind of antivirus, whatever protection that there is, uh, and it just it makes a mockery of it. It just runs straight through him. Um, yeah, 
absolutely fascinating. Brilliant. And it's just a cool way to corrupt them because you see when the space marines get corrupted, how the, whatever god they take, you know, whatever god they, they they go with, you can see those corruptions affecting them. And here it affects it affects the lines. It affects the lines of code. It affects the binary. It's just so cool. Yeah. It is pretty awesome. And then right at the end of the chapter, uh, contact Princeps Camulus, said Kelbar Howe, it is time for Legio Mortis to walk. Yep. You know, with a name like Legio Mortis, you just had to figure they were, there, was something, no, there was no good coming out of the end of this. You know? if, you can, if you can trust GW for anything, it will be names like Mortis and Doom. Are generally bad guy names. It's just funny because, and, and a lot of people have these types of names. I mean, you can go through this and just pick out. I mean, really, honestly, th- th- these guys have gone to the Stan Lee school of naming people. The only thing they don't know, do is alliterate the names. Which is a you shame. Know. They should they should do that more. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> Between like you know with your Peter Parkers and your you know you know Stephen Strange. Yeah, absolutely. exactly. But other than that, they do. It's, it's this is total. You know, Marvel Comics school of naming people, which I don't mind. It's just, it strikes me as funny because as soon as you see it, you know. I mean, it's not even like they don't even use it as like, you know, sometimes in literature, you'll throw a guy, you know, okay, for an example, people are going to roll their eyes at Professor Snape. You know, yeah. he's got a he's got a name like that. He looks like a bad guy. You know, I knew it wasn't him the first time I read that book when I was reading it to my kids because it was too obvious he was the bad guy. They don't even use it that way. They're like, nope, that's the bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> he's yeah. the guy in the black hat, and he's not a good guy faking it in a black hat. He's the freaking guy in the black hat. I think that sometimes is partly down to the way the book's developed from source material that's already there. Oh, sure. They don't have to worry about it to an extent, do they? No. To, you know, on the great scale of things. But yeah, I, I don't see it as a problem either. No, I, I don't, I, I don't I have beef with it. It's just, it's, it's, And actually, to be fair, there are quite a lot of good guys who have pretty vicious sounding names because this is a dark, dark future. Right. And so, you know, they are, you know, even the nicest of the good guys is an amazing badass and can tear out your throat with his pinky yeah, nail. So. Exactly. It's for your own good. Exactly. <laughs> So here we go to chapter seven. Almost done with the first part here. Um, all right. So Dahlia, uh, her gift is growing. Yeah. Um, she's um, she's uh, evolving as a Pokemon. Yes, exactly. And, and in such a short time. I mean, it's just been it's been like what a couple of weeks. I mean, she only Again, had. Yeah. This this makes me wonder if there's more going on there. You could almost write this down in our notes for discussion later as well. Okay, yeah. Well, and when you find out at the end what's going on, it's like, well, she's so close to it, too, as part yeah. of it. Yeah. You know, when you get closer to that power source, it's, you know, so she's, you know, it's, I don't know, it's just, it just it's working on her easier because she's nearer to the place. Like any, you know, sort of, you know, that... It pops up in all sorts of stories as you get closer. I mean, you know, Sting glows when an orc is near. She's getting more powerful when she's near the source of where she's getting her powers from. Um, but and Zeth, Zeth can't explain it. Like she sees it happening. She's like, I, I no, I have no idea why it's happening. I'm just glad it is. Um, I, in her spare time, she's just <laughs> she's giving Dahlia just all sorts of scientific texts so that she could, you know, and. She's she's just pouring through it, like literally like a machine, just absorbing yeah. all of it. But then she's stopping to fill in the gaps. Okay, this is missing. This is wrong. This is not. Nope, nope fix this. Um, 
and um, then there's something that the, the, you know the switch. It must it be imbued with divine mechanical will. This becomes the question. It's a you know what is this? This is a switch. Does it have to have will? Um, now I I I've notes here because I wanted to stop and ask you. Okay, what is up with the religion of the machine god? Now the emperor allows it, but it doesn't even seem to make any sense. Now I mean, can, I mean, am I missing something here? I mean, I know I'm I'm the I'm the you know it's just their religion doesn't seem to make any sense to me. <laughs> um, now, I mean, I've written a few bits about this. Um, I think I wonder if some of Graham McNeil's views on religion are reflected here. I mean, that's complete supposition from me. Don't. Please don't take this as me knowing anything about, uh-huh. and I would I wouldn't dare to dream about talking about someone's belief systems anyway. But I wonder if part of his uh, views on organised religion are, are put in here as well. Okay, uh, that maybe that I got a feeling that, that might have happened, but I, I could be completely wrong on that, and I apologise if I am. But um, I don't. They don't understand a lot of their own technology. They know that there are these spirits, or they feel that there are these spirits in the technology. They've been fed this line of the Omnissiah from however long ago. Now, is that when you say that they know that there's a the, a ghost in the machine? Is that like the type of, you know, like the stuff that happens with the Titans? Yeah, all leaders? that kind of thing. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's something in there which is more than just the machine. That's how they feel, you know. Uh, why does this why does this ship alert us to danger before its sensors realize it's there kind of thing. You know, so they see that as being part of that spirit and it's been bred into them and they are creatures of habit within that. And they know that they know that they, they, they don't understand anything, so they have to just follow this creed that's been brought down. And if any I mean, <laughs> It's the difference between religion and faith. Okay. In my opinion, is that, I mean, this is the essence of a religion, is we've told you what to do. Keep okay. doing it. Um, and, you know, you can have a faith without being religious. You can be religious without having a faith. Uh, uh, if you want to look at it in these descriptions, so a faith is a, a belief in a system and oh, sorry, a belief in a, in a deity and blah, 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 blah. Um, a religion is the, the the kind of the rules and the, the dogma I got of, you. of that system. If you, you know, that's, I'm not saying that is it, but that's a way of breaking it down. And it very feel, very much feels in the book that you've got a religion of the Omnissiah. Right, that they're that they're ingrained. It's taught from father to son, as it were, all the way down, and thus it is the way things are done. I gotcha. That that's a feel I get anyway. Now, there is a bit of a conversation here about isn't the emperor the machine god? And she says, "Oh, there's been this argument." Uh, and Dolly is actually kind of embarrassed. She feels like she might have asked a stupid question the way Zeth is responding. I do like this part here, though. There's almost as many facets to the beliefs of the Mechanicum as there are stars in the sky. Some believe the emperor to be the physical manifestation of the machine god, the Omnissiah, while their detractors claim that the emperor presented himself as their god in order to win their support. They believe that the machine god lies buried somewhere beneath the sands of Mars. Some even believe that by augmenting their bodies with technology, they will eventually transcend all flesh and become one with the machine god. And she goes, and what do you believe? And Seth stops for, for a minute. Which, <laughs> ooh, that, that, that might have been too personal a question. I like that part there. She's like, ooh, uh, okay, maybe I shouldn't have asked her that. 
Um, but it's it's funny how she said that some people believe the machine god is, lives underneath the sands of Mars. And the first time I read this, I was like, that's a weird thing to believe. You know, like you know, like the devil lives. You know, the devil's in the center of the earth with fire and brimstone. Yeah. And you get to the end of the book, you're like, oh wait, what? <laughs> like, yeah. Um, well, a little bit of backstory on that. Uh, until this book, the Omnissiah, the dragon, was like kind of suspected, hinted at. And there were little bits of information like um, in one of the Battlefleet Gothic books, because there's hints that the dragon is, uh, the Omnissiah is the dragon, which is one of the Catan gods. Yeah, that's what I was getting the idea too. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh we we didn't really know until this book, you know, and no, you know, no with a capital K. But um, there were little bits like the Battlefleet Gothic book, the Necron fleets. There was a story of one of the ships, and these three ships flew into Mars, managed to make it past loads of you know loads of secret Necron stuff. Blah blah blah. Only one made it to the surface of Mars, and all it did was land, and they get blown up. And it was like, why is this Necron ship landing on Mars? What's going on? And so it all fed into that kind of, oh, we think there's a dragon on Mars. Aha, so, okay. Yeah, yeah. Before before this book, we weren't we weren't fully sure of what was going on. It was always the hope, oh, the dragon's going to be on Mars. But yeah. So Very cool. I mean, I like I like uh, Zeth's reply as well. Like, I believe the emperor is a great man, a visionary man, a man of science and reason who has knowledge greater than the sum of the total of the Mechanicum. But I believe he is, despite all that, just a man. Blah blah blah. The imperial truth. Exactly. It's it's pretty interesting. Yeah. She actually buys into the imperial truth. Yeah. And the weirdest thing is, it's sort of weird because, you know, like the Emperor's plan seems like it totally would work. You know, like it, you know, I mean, it seems like it just about worked until the end here. And she who believes in it and follows it is about to bring them to this golden age, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it's kind of interesting how they keep coming back to the verge of it it's, all working and then it all falls yeah. apart. This is almost a, a window into what could have been. Yeah. I was kind of pissed when I got to the end. I was like, damn, she had so much cool stuff going and it was the golden age was right here and it all got screwed up. Damn it, you yeah. guys. Yeah. But let's see. Let's kind of uh, let's get through the rest of this chapter. Um, oh, then we get to the beautiful team bonding section. Uh, cue the <laughs> montage music. Yes. Um, the team is bonding, uh, you know, possibly Dahlia Caxton romance montage going on. It's good to see that, like, it didn't all work first time. Right. That, that I, I was quite relieved in a way because everything was just going hunky-dory for them. But they were like, oh, we need to do this. We need to do that. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I get that she, she gets it all and it makes it work. But, I mean, it, it, like you said, it, it, it was almost too perfect. Oh, look, I found the one person who can make everything work perfectly. You got to throw in a setback. Even to any – every good hero has got to have a setback. Otherwise, there's no fun to them. Yeah. Um, but they're ready to test it. She, will it. Will it hurt them? Some of them may not live, you know. Uh, the psyker in the chair should have a capacity for learning at exponentially greater rate than he'll be receiving information. Should have it. Um, what happens? And I like this. The whole uh, what can happen if we learn all the secrets of the universe? Well, you know, and that's amazingly dangerous. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? If you have all knowledge, it's not a good thing necessarily. No. And then finally, the empath uh, Jonas awakens. And he's all excited that, that he's going to learn the secrets of the universe for the betterment of the Imperium and the Emperor. Like, he's, like, gung-ho, you know, red, white, and blue, apple pie, ready to go. Oh, for, yeah. For the Emperor. Oh, are you kidding? I could know everything. Think what I could do for the Emperor. 
I could think how much I could help him, like just ready to give his life in service to the emperor. Um, yeah, it's a you got some nice little ethical discussions in there about should they be doing it, um, and, and Dahlia gets the point, and it's like. Um, yeah, I'm jumping a little so, past some of that. I yeah, yeah I admit, but I, I, I wish I'd thought more about it sooner, but I didn't. Well, yeah, because at that point yeah, they did say, like, dude, it's already built. We're starting the machine. What you, now? You're asking these questions. But all the yeah, it, it, it's another little glimpse of the blind kind of. Uh, we're doing this. We're doing this. We're focusing on this, and it's like there's no thought to hold on. Should we? What are the effects? But it, it's a case of the Mechanicum, like. You can see how the Mechanicum gets corrupt within that. Because right. we're aiming at this, and we will hit it. And they almost will go to any lengths. And this is a good guy. Zeth's a really good guy. Right. <laughs> yeah, I'll know everything soon. I'll be part of something that helps humanity achieve its destiny. I know that sounds a bit grand, but it's what we're doing here, isn't it? And she's like, yep, that's what we're doing here. Um, then it cuts back, and uh, you got uh, Princeps Cavalario is out there, and they're they're out trudging around per- he's out there protecting the reactors um, now he's hardwired to the to the thing he's not in the amniotic tanks that they put these guys in when they get too beat up and battered yeah, he's not, not in the not, fluid yeah, tank the tanks don't happen that often this this book kind of gave an impression that they were more common than they are but it can it's yeah but if you're one of these titan drivers who've been driving as long as he has apparently i mean it, he seems like he's been yeah, around a long time he has been around a long long time yeah. these are the guys who if if it's going to happen to you know these yeah. are the guys where if if they don't die in battle but they're horribly wounded they're going in a tank they're they're too valuable to let go which yeah. i just think is a whole it's it's a fascinating just it's, resource baby right but it's it's what it, it is but it's people are just more resources in this world and the more you read about this stuff maybe it's an honor to be in the tank and to live potentially forever doing service to the emperor but there's also the you know billion people who just get turned into servitors and the and you know um it's it's just yeah if you're a space marine who gets to be turned into a dreadnought like like uh like bjorn and live forever you know fighting away that's amazing and no no it's not uh, if you if you want to read what that's like, read Battle for the Fang. Um, it's hell for those Space Marines. Is Sometimes. it? Yeah, it's not the nice thing it, it could be. Yeah. Okay, so, so I'm even wrong yeah, about that. Anyone who hasn't read Battle for the Fang, read Me. it. B- Bjorn hates getting woken up. Hates it. Really? Yeah. Oh, so when he's not actually out actively fighting, they, he shuts down well, like a machine? Dreadnoughts, they shut down. Yeah, they go. They, they send them to sleep, basically. Um, oh, interesting. And then they wake them up to fight because it's not a great place for them to be. Huh. And they can go a little bit mad as well, some of them. So. Yeah, it's just the way they use people as a resource. And if you're too valuable, yeah. we're keeping you. It's like if you're if you're a scumbag, we'll cut out most of your brain and just use you. Because it's better yep. to use you than to have you executed. We don't have to execute pe- criminals anymore. And, we, and again, this is part of what I might go into a little bit later on. Cool. So, yeah, I just, oh, this is so good. This would be good stuff also for the uh, uh, after uh, after show, the you know, post, uh, post-book yeah. discussion stuff. So uh, so let's see what else is going on here. Um, he's doing this. He's walking around in Kelbor Hall's domain. In fact, what have we got here? For days, Kelbor Hall's domain had been wreathed in some 
seething thunderheads, the slopes and forges hammered by crackling bolts of purple lightning. Cavalario didn't know what manner of experimental work the Fabricator General had going on, but it was creating some lousy atmospherics and interfering with the Vox traffic for thousands of kilometers in all directions. Every channel was alive with scrappy blurts of code that sounded like a chorus of urgent voices crowded into a single frequency. Cavalario had been forced to mute the volume on his Vox. The chattering nonsense code gave him a splitting headache. Uh, once again, the code is so cool. You know, yeah. it's like worming its way into everything. And he hears it's giving him a headache just because he knows there's something wrong with it. And there's never any rain or anything like that on Mars. So for these weird storms to be brewing with the purple lightning, you know, something strange is happening there. I like I like very much how Graham McNeil describes this stuff. And I really like how it builds up. Yeah, it's awesome. It so he's polluting awesome. the air and all that. And then um, then he gets a call that Legio Mortis is heading towards... Ascreus Mons, and then I got one last bit that I want to read here as they're coming because I just think it's so cool. Um, he goes, I know, Stormlord, you must return to Ascreus Mons immediately. Return? Why? Chirac's answer was blotted out by a squealing blurt of code like an animalistic bellow of rage, his image distorting as if in the grip of a rippling heat haze. Mortis, they march. What? Repeat last, snapped Cavalario. And he says, they're coming. Uh, I just love that him getting the message. They don't want, you know, the, obviously the chaos does not want him over there messing with them. They don't want him getting the message. And, you know, when anything is happening, any communication going on on Mars, the scrap code is screaming, trying to block it out like it's unhappy. It's there. It's just so cool. I mean, I can't I, I just I can't get over how much I, I think how neat I think this stuff is. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a cracking little thing, really. Yeah. It's, um, there's not much kind of similar to it. Nothing I can around. think of. No, no, I'm sure there are similar similar things, but there's not a lot. It's not like a common thing that happens in a lot of fiction. But it's very cool. Yeah. So last chapter before uh, we've reached the end of part one. So chapter eight, let's do it. Yeah, um, Epluvian Maximal and uh, Zeth and, and Dahlia, they're all getting ready for the... the to go live on the, the big experiment. We're waiting for the reader to be turned on. And we, we finally get like the plan of how it's supposed to work. So they're going to siphon off energy, psychic energy, um, once they're aligned with Terra. And then they suddenly realized, uh, you're, you're going to use the Emperor's warp beacon, um, which is you know, a huge amount of energy that flies right. through the Earth. But, and uh, you know, before they get there, though, there's that cute little part where she meets Ma where Dahlia meets Maximal. Yeah, and she's like, most of them look human, but they oh, don't yeah. sound it. But you sound human, and don't but look don't it. look it. And then he's <laughs> and then he blurts something in in Binaric to Zeth, and she goes, "Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to offend you." And they both look at her. You understand Binaric without modification? Oh yeah, I've picked it up. And <laughs> Zeth is just nodding. It's just like, what the hell? Seriously, it's like she's like Neo. She is the one. She yeah, just... but that's it. She is seeing the Matrix. There's yeah, no exactly. Doubt. There's no doubt about that. Um, I, I do like we get the uh, the reason he has the voice as well. Um, it's the voice of a great singer of operatic verse, and the sound reminds him of all that is good in mankind. Right. So it's what just a nice strange thing. The, the, yeah. the quirks, once again, the quirks that Graham McNeil writes into this are great. It, that's the thing in this book. The story is pretty straightforward, actually. Yeah, absolutely. The, this this reader's being built. Once again, just like in the uh, original trilogy, mm. 
where every time evil puts on its big go, remember we talked about this, how yeah. good has that one little thing that just happens that just, 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 it doesn't Tilt. stop it. It just diverts it enough that they're safe. And yeah. that's what happens here. This test, it goes horribly haywire, but it's enough to keep them safe while all this yeah. other stuff goes on. And it's these, it's the little touches. It's the descriptions of the scrap code. It's the bits of, you know, I mean, you know, giving those bits of humanity to each of the, an individual yeah. way. It's just I so think, cool. I think maybe it's a reflection that the the more machine they come, the, the less they drive out of themselves. These, this, that quirk becomes stronger and stronger. It's like their humanity clinging on. Right. As well. But yeah, it creates a real interesting feel. Again, these are, you know, the, the, the Martians, the, the, any of the, the adepts or anything like that are all really kind of uh, standalone. Again, it's not something you see a huge amount of going through. There are books that deal with humanity and robots and things like that, but this is more of a, a, a more unique way. Uh, if It's really bad English. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's kind of set apart from a lot of that, which is really cool. Yeah. No, I, so I yeah, it. yeah, we get to, um, the Astronomicon's going to be used to power this and, and, uh, yes, that, that can't go wrong. Um, I even asked, you know, won't it disrupt the Astronomicon if we use its power? And Zeth's like, yeah, for a bit. And it's like, wow. So Zeth's quite prepared to disrupt the Astronomicon, which is being used by everyone. Just for a little bit. That's fine. But it's it's a short time, and it's not going to disrupt it that much. I mean, doesn't she even imply, like, dude, the Astronomicon is huge. I am not tapping into it enough to make it a big noticeable, you know. I, I kind of felt like she was just, you know. She was. You she know. said. She said it was only a first short span of time. And but the, my my point is, she feels that this is important enough. She's made the decision that this is important enough to disrupt the Astronomicon, without worrying about what anyone else thinks about it. She's like, no, this is important enough that that can turn off for a split second. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, and and you know something might happen, but this is important enough. Yeah, it's, no, it's good. Uh, there we go. And then. Um, kind of now now that Dahlia realizes exactly what's going on she realizes that the, the plans won't work the calculations are wrong uh, um, uh, they never expected this much power to be driven through the machine right um, yeah she and, totally mistook what when, when she was figuring out yeah, all her plans she was expecting it to be plugged into the wall uh, yeah and not this kind of thing yeah but, she uh, was expecting yeah she was expecting solar power not a nuclear generator yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> and but the countdown started, so they can't stop it. Um, but but this is where Dahlia's consciousness really kicks in. Um, well, we start hearing the agonised screams of Jonas um, as it's yeah as as it shows that it's it's about to go wrong, and we come back to her in a bit. Um, but we move back to Mortis. So Mortis is March has caused Tempestus to show force. Uh, so they're not a hundred percent sure what's going on here. I mean. We know they have scuffles, but outright wars never really occurred. So, right, they they can see a threat, but they can't risk acting on it. So they they, they stand on their line. Well, and you've um, also got that whole idea that I mean, this has happened throughout the book. You know, the forces of the Imperium. I mean, the the fact that chaos had corrupted these things and that they really are their enemies now. I mean, there's been rivalries, yes, but their actual flat out bitter enemies they don't believe it like they can't conceive of it yet 
And it's the one thing that allows them constantly to get the jump on the Imperium is that nobody really believes in chaos taking over like this. Yeah. Um, and we get we get Tempestus calling all its machines back. Uh, but the, the worry is Mortis is so much bigger. And, and they have seeing, an Imperator. Yeah, we get the... Well, they, yeah, they don't realize Isn't that the new stuff. one that they just put out, that no, Forge will no, put out? No, no, that's a Warlord. Oh, that's a... That, what's the really big one that Forge World put out, the biggest one they've got? Is that a Warlord? That's a Warlord, yeah. And that's like what? That's like... If you buy that with all of its parts, that's like 2K, Twelve, right? No, tw- uh, 1,250 pounds. Okay. 1,250 pounds. pounds. Yeah. So yeah, 2K, yeah. Yeah, yeah about that. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah, they sold quite a few. I, I'm, I'm certain they do, but that's more than my mortgage. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, um, it's, it's a lot of money. But, yeah, uh, <laughs> the, the, the Imperiata would, would dwarf that. Um, anyone who's played Epic will, will know how big the Imperiata is in relation to those. So, yeah. I mean, even before they realize they've got an Imperiata, they're like, they're big returns we're getting here. And there's lots of them. But that's all being distorted by the scrap code as well, because the scrap code's out there trying to attack. Yep. You know, it's 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 causing all kinds of problems. It's like a rabid dog on a leash. They haven't quite released it yet. They're not ready to make that move. But everyone can he- everyone who it's not affecting yet hears it on the edges of everything. It's right there, ready to grab them. It's very cool. Yeah, definitely. So it's it's a race between Tempest getting back, Mortis pushing on. They don't want to engage. They can't really engage. You know, the, the Warhound guys are, should we run out and do it? It's like, um, I respect your uh, your positivity. Yes. <laughs> I really don't think it's going to make the slightest bit of difference what you guys do. And that's just um, scary. I mean, once again, no idea how big an Imperator is, but... They, they don't even know they've got an Imperator at this time. But, you know, they're looking at maybe a couple of Warlords and and some Reavers and some Warhounds. And they're like, yeah, we're still going to struggle. We are going to struggle if they bring, you know, if they bring two Warlords, five Reavers, we're going to have a, a real fight on our hands. Uh, but in true heroic form, they will hold the Tempest line. I think and- this is something we need in the uh, in the after book, you know, the after book discussion episode. Maybe 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 uh, maybe you need to give me a lesson on the classes of uh, titans and, and yeah we could go into like. that a little bit I might do a double episode with the Imperial Truth then. oh that that'd be cool then we yeah, yeah we could record that and drop that in yeah cool um, yeah so uh, so we have Tempestus lining up ready to do what they need to do if it comes to that you know, these are heroes these are true heroes of the Imperium they will not back down right and then we cut back to uh, Dahlia she's racing into the room so. Uh, tears spilling down her cheeks um she she, the nightmare for her is that she kills someone and they tell her not to go in there because it's it's still not safe but she goes running in anyway yeah because she's blaming herself for for this for this death uh and 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 yeah she charges in and he says to her uh you know i won't she's, she's apologizing yeah, <laughs> and he says, uh, "I won't have your pity. I've seen the truth, and I'm free. I know it all. The Emperor slaying the Dragon of Mars, the grand lie of the Red Planet, and the truth that will shake the galaxy—all forgotten by man in the darkness of the labyrinth of night." Oh, the grand lie! I'm like, oh boy, here we go. Yeah, and uh, and then she looks into his eyes and forces her heads up, and we have that connection. 
So yep. Dahlia screaming and and falling into unconsciousness. Uh, quite a grim scene, really. Yep. <laughs> um, but bless, you know. Um, and, and back with the with the Titans. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. They, the one thing about the Titans is they're more, although they they don't think outright war will come, they're ready for a scuffle, which creates a very different kind of atmosphere from the from the legionaries. Right. So legionaries never considered that it, one would even fight the other for you know for anything really, but but the legions are like, well, you know, they they might want they might want some pay payback pay here for something you know some slight that we don't know that we've done on them am i the only one who pictures titans fighting each other at, you know i mean they're describing it like it's like this like it's some sort of a turf rumble from west side story you know uh, uh you know like some 50s you know you know gang thing <laughs> yeah they are actually yeah. but they're freaking titans like seriously a little payback you blew up a titan i would think that's all out freaking war right there and i realize that these guys are working this scale all the time but they're really describing it like oh if they want to rumble you know i got a bike chain and and you know the guy next to me's got uh you know he's got a roll of quarters in in his glove i mean it's literally this is how they sound like they're talking to each other about this I kind of like that. It's kind of, <laughs> it is kind of cool. And it, it shows, you know, if, if, if they take down a reaver, there's going to be a huge battle, you know, a warhound. Yeah, it's, it's, it's annoying and whatever. They could probably, again, write it off to a certain extent, but, you know, have a grudge against them forever. But, yeah, the scale is just completely different, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, but, again, again, Tempestus don't know what's going on yet. So, and that's we basically can. a lot of this. This happens a lot in this book. There's a, a lot of this sort of build up and wait thing. I mean, the, the yeah. rest of this chapter, there's a lot of, you know, basically them standing on the line and these guys keep marching closer and and give a hold, hold. Yeah, and we, we you got a little um, a little uh, show from the other guys, Cavalario, uh, and they get they get to that point where it's like they're marching and they're trying to get there in time. It's like, well, crank up the engines, and it's like, well, that's going to cost us. And it's like Scotty and the thing. The engines right. cannot do it, Captain. But, and it's like, well, I need it. Okay, and there's my other question. Seriously, like, and I mean, and maybe it was just me, but it seemed like every time this thing turned around, the engines were overheating. Now, I mean, it seems to me that if you're going to build something that's, you know, 15 stories high and running around, that it would be able to run. Like, no, okay, well, it's, no. It, the thing is that. The bigger something is, the you know, the the power to to move it, etc., grows exponentially. So they're designed to walk at a steady pace because they don't need to. I mean, what were these things designed to fight? That's true. Yeah, and they've got weapons that will fire kilometers. I would just think that you know, hey, but if we need to pick up the pace because well, well the emergency is way over there, and once you drop them onto the planet, they, but it, they yeah, but it just yeah. seemed weird to me that this this this. This weapon it, of ultimate devastation is crippled because it jogged. Yeah, you are I talking mean, about something that's that's hundreds of thousands of tons and, and etc. That you know, um, the warhounds are the quick ones. You know, and you get slower as you get up because of physics. True, you know, they're designed to be dropped where they need to be dropped, and, and so for them to say hurry there. back here, okay. You're, that's you're right. That's not their role. They are the big lumbering behemoth tanks that they okay. use uh, and things like that. They are their artillery support 
But doesn't yeah. it seem a little ironic? I mean, th- th- at least in that way that, you know. At the end of the day, to, to My to old have enemy that- stares. You know, it's just like. <laughs> yeah, to, to have, um, to have the ability to run that speed they would have their engines would have to be so huge that you'd always be chasing yourself to do it it's not like having tracks which you can just make go faster there's stability issues there's moving you know standing on one leg with all that huge things how titans even walk yeah that's crazy i mean you're right you're right that power reactor is also uh for their guns and their shields as well yeah that's true i mean you're right and i mean and once you put it that way, I totally get that you're right. It's- and it doesn't matter. And the other thing is, even if they could run, then these Titans had to be far enough away to make it dramatic. So McNeil would have just put them further away, so they had to push the engines. True. No, I yeah, I mean, I get yeah. it. I, I get I get exactly what's going on. You're right. And I didn't think about that until you explained it right now. It just still... Somewhere in the, I mean, they've all got to have a weakness, I guess. You know what I'm saying? Like yes, when you're playing in a game, when you look at stats, one of your, you can't have tens on everything. You know, only so their their one stat that's really low is their speed. I mean, and they're still fast because they're covering kilometers per step. But this is the okay. This is the thing they can't do if they've got to get somewhere. They, it, it makes sense, but at first when I read it, I was just like, what? Yeah, we got um, we got Kazim out. Uh, in the Raptoria, we got the uh, the, the dudes out at the, at the front, um, <laughs> and they kind of get get trying to get better locks on what's coming towards them. And this is where we get that point where it's like, "What's that? That's that's a really strong return. Uh, that's um, that's too big to be a warhound. Yeah. Uh, that's too big to be a reaver. Uh, is it a warlord?" It's an Imperator. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, oh, you're all dead. And here's where the guys in giant titans look up and go, oh, we're, we're, we are small. Yes. Ugh. That, Imper- uh, is is on the horse. Um, and, and then we, we've, got, we've always got this, like, this talk of, is this an attack? It's just going on through the whole thing. Um, while they're standing in their titans uh, to see if this is the day we die. Yeah, um, it's very cool, very dramatic but, stuff. For 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 nothing actually happening, this gets very dramatic. The tension gets very high in this in this. They've got a standoff going here. But hey, there's the end of part one. Well, yeah, we get um, yeah, right at the end of part one, uh, Tempest line breached. Yep, they stepped over the line. They got they, they've been coming to our door. They've been coming towards our property line the whole time. Now they're on my lawn. Absolutely. Yep, see what happens. So let's take a break and come back with part two, Sistema Mechanico. Hi, this is Alex Nikitenko, and I'm just your regular Warhammer player. But when I'm not playing Warhammer, I like listening to Garage Hammer, at least when Chris is the one talking And we're back, beckity back, part two. Systeme Mechanicum, all right. So, 2.01. So, Mortis has crossed the line. Yeah, which is a big no-no. Yep, 
they've stepped over, literally stepped over the line. And, yeah. But Cavallario does not open fire. <laughs> it's quite funny. It's like there are lots of things you can get away with, but you just don't do that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they'll, for, they'll forgive so much stuff, but not that. But yeah, Cavallero's the, the, the hero we know he is. Right. Or wanting to be. Now, here's where the big huh came into me when I was reading this next part. Uh, Kasim takes over all the firing authorities of Raptoria because he didn't want it to overwhelm the low-grade brain coding of the gun servitors and open fire herself. Yeah, I His, think that's a, re- a reflection of the animal spirit of the Warhound. Yeah, the Warhound would have... Op- that's just It fascinates me that you've connected a human brain to this piece of machinery and it's a two-way street i've not only got the power of the machine but the machine kind of understands what i know it's not just that the the quite often when you read about warhounds particularly they've got very aggressive spirits right and so they're fighting all the time and you kind of almost you hear about like uh princeps who are lost to their to their titan where the spirit was too strong for them. That's crazy. And, and, and yeah, took, and they, they gave in to that, the spirit of the machine, and, and, and went, you know, feral, almost. So, basically, the Imperator comes up and <laughs> sort of drops the speakers on everything and blares out scrap code at everything. Just scrap code comes blaring out of all of its systems, and then it turns away and walks away. Yeah. Um, they don't realize... What what attack has just happened to them? Uh, yeah, they don't even realize they've been attacked. Right, exactly. Yeah. That's, yeah. It's, 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 something just screamed at us and walked away. Well, that's I think, it's, I think maybe it's the relief that the relief that they didn't shoot. Right. You know, it's like whatever's happened, they didn't open fire. Yeah, that's a good thing. But it would even you know, it comes up, it sort of screams at them and walks away, and you're just like, what the hell was like? They're so yeah, like you said, they're so relieved that they don't even. Pay attention to the scream, which is, you know, Victor, it's Magna uh, is dead. It, it, it had overloaded its circuits rushing to get there. Shirak uh, yep. and Metallus Severium, they send the others to follow Mortis out of the region. So it turns in walking, but not it hasn't turned about face to walk directly out. It's t- sort of turned to the side and it's walking on a sort of a indirect yeah. path out. So it's like you guys who are still operational, follow them and make sure they leave. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, Chirac, uh pulled him. You know, unplugged himself, didn't he? Yeah. Um, he 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 cut off, which which must be kind of painful to do. Um, he recognized danger when he saw it, though. Like nobody realized yeah. it was an attack, but he was like, "Wait, something's not right." Yeah, and, and, and Bannon as well. On that, they were, you know. They, they've done everything they can. And as you say, yeah, because um, the Victorix Magna just didn't, because they're trying to get the Stormlord. Right. Uh, uh, meanwhile, thousands of kilometers south, uh, there's the scavenger. And this is just a total, like a little side thing. There's a scavenger, and what is he? He found the, the robot from the beginning of the book. Yeah, the Kaban. The, the Kaban, sure. yeah. Um, he's going to salvage it, but then Adept Krom shows up. <laughs> and he looks at the machine and says, it's time to go. And the machine suddenly gets up and starts to go with him. I like, so he's like, what are you doing? That's mine. I found it. Yeah, the scavenger's like, hey, that's mine. He's like, oh, really? Blows up the scavenger's ship. And the scavenger's like, hey, that was my ship. Then he blows up the scavenger. End of, yeah. end of, end of vignette. 
Who the hell are you? I am Master Adept Lucas Crom. Never heard of you. <laughs> exactly. It's just, uh, it's just... It's... Oh, it cracks me up that when that type of stuff happens, you know. Um, and then we cut over to uh, Kilbore Hall. And... Uh, never heard of you. Uh, Kelbor Hall is moving his new troops, and they're all enhanced from the the vaults of of Moravik. Uh, Scrap code has permeated Olympus Mons, and as, as the largest place. Now we've talked about how there's other places on Mars that are huge and big, have these huge red. But I think we've determined that as the fabricator general of all of Mars, his place yeah. is the biggest. It is the center point. It as you as you point out, similarly, you know, it's the same thing as the palace on Earth. Yeah, it's just a bit smaller. Yep. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Um, so now it's he's spreading scrap code all over Mars. Some forges are a bit resistant, uh, and it was when this happened that the that that's exactly the same time he releases the scrap code is what ha- is when they hit the Astronomicon's power, which once again is like that. Like I mentioned from the original trilogy, yeah, great uh, timing. Yeah, perfect timing. That good has sa- inadvertent, you know, somehow they have inadvertently saved themselves from utter destruction. That um, and the new sphere, yeah, yeah. Uh, let's see. When the skies above Olympus Mons had raged and buckled by the bloody dawn of a new power, freakishly induced weather patterns carried the echoes of its shrill afterbirth from the great mountain to every corner of Mars, every corner but one. As the seething Martian skies darkened, a searing surge of psychic energy above Coriolis' magma city had pierced the heavens and almost drowned the birth shout of the emergent power with its light and violence. Kelbor Hall did not fully understand what he had witnessed that day, but Regulus had watched the event, the spiking flames of his magnetic field betraying his naked fear and hostility. What was that, he asked, an accident, a weapon? An enemy revealed, was all Regulus had said. And that's the end of the chapter. He recognized the light of the Astronomicon and knew that was the enemy right there. And yeah. if they've got that protecting them or whatever, I don't even know why that just shot there, but that can't be. That it's it's obviously no good for us. You've got to be scared if you've taken your first steps against the Emperor and then the Emperor's light shines down on a part of your planet. It's like, oh, dear. Does he know? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that, yep. Yeah. Um, yeah, so into uh, 2.02, uh, Dahlia's trapped in darkness uh, and <clears throat> in some weird coma-type weird mind state. Right. Um, it's, it's a bit unclear what it is, but we get... Uh, She's been out for seven days, she finds out. Yeah, when, when, when she finally wakes um, after being in this weird journey. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, when she's questioned, she says that, what did he say to you? And she looks at the camera first, and this is nothing. I like that. As soon as she looked at the camera first and said nothing, I'm like, okay, she's, she didn't forget. She's lying. Yeah, she's, she's not sure what's going on. Um, I think we'll break this up as I've written it down. I was just trying to work out the best way of doing this. Okay. Um, so, yeah, it's just uh, uh, Cythera, Dahlia, Cythera awakes, and we have... Uh, the the death of innocence, which is what it's called, right. which is quite a, it's a cool title for for something, right. uh, and it's hit all of Mars. We've got um, 
it's just crazy, really. Flickering, chanting cunt of pure machine languages just flying through everything at the speed of light. We got a few forges and forge masters were quick enough to cut themselves off uh, and, and trying to deal with what little damage they had. But most of the most of the place is, is, is corrupt. Exactly. We've got yeah, ammunition I mean, storage facilities. She's an got, island, you know. Yeah. We got rogue sets commands on blowing up um, ammunition storage facilities by raising the temperature in Promethean tanks and um, uh, yeah, there's klaxons, horns going off and, and machines going wrong and it's chemical refineries unleashing all their stuff into the work hives and well and that's the is, thing yeah the scrap code is sentient so it's just basically yeah. you know it goes into a, a nuclear facility and turns off all the safety overrides yeah and it's, it's oh. and every part of it so they're, they're just yeah it's ruining either machinery or the workers or the lot and it's it's, it's taking off through the whole thing which is uh, it's a really cool little piece actually. Yeah, little, yeah. I quite like the descriptive, as, as we said before, the descriptive uh, little bits of those. But yeah, we come back to Dahlia, right? And uh, she's trying to, uh, you know, there's no trace of Jonas here. <laughs> not one atom left. I think is how they described it. There's not one atom of him left behind. <laughs> no, bless him. But he didn't say anything before he died, according nope. to Dahlia. Yeah, no, definitely didn't say anything. She's she's really unsure what's going on here, and she she's she's way out of her depth uh, in that. And she doesn't um, trust Zeth anymore after this. She can't. She just knows instinctively. Yeah. I can't give this information out. No, that's it. And and she's. I mean, she. I think she's hurt by the uh, all the psychers dying as well. Not just Jonas, but everything that's going on in there. And it's um. You know, it's something that she has to deal with as well as everything else that was piled upon her. But hey, they get straight back to working on the Akashic Reader. <laughs> it's, you know, every, everything must carry on. The show must go on. That's why they're here. And they, they just need to find a new vessel and a load more psychers. And uh, they, can, they can crack on. Yep. And um, the other thing that I just love is when they get to this... Uh the labyrinth of night. It was such a cool, another cool little part there. You know, they got the dampers and the labyrinth of night. <laughs> Wait, what? You know? Yeah. So she, she still trusts her team. Yep. Of people. It's Zeth and everything else. It seems she's not sure. And so, yeah, they've got this dampener so they can speak in. in well, and it shows how much they secrecy. trust her when she asks Zush to make a damper. And he's like, well, why would we need a damper? I don't want yeah. people to hear what we have to say. Who is going to be spying? Listen, nobody can hear us. And they trust her and they make it for her so she can yeah. have this conversation. Absolutely. And she trusts them explicitly to tell them what Jonas told her. Right. So this little group is is tight. And, and we get that um, Noctus Labyrinthus. Yeah, because yeah, actually even before that, when they said, I thought you said he didn't say anything. I lied. Nobody yeah. told on her. No. That's it. Well, yeah. I mean, you would think, I mean, honestly, who are you more afraid of? You know, who is your, where are your loyalties? And there's her with her. Well, I mean, we find out Melison's not necessarily got a straight role in this. Oh, that's true. I forgot about her now that we're mentioning it. Yeah, that's right. But that's, you, yeah, at the moment, you don't, you don't know. The others certainly are there for the, for, there for her and she trusts all of them. Right. Um, and we get this, uh, 
Labyrinth of Night, which is an area between Zeth and Krom's land. It's uninhabited and nothing seems to work. It's, it's cursed land. And the, the Mechanicum have just accepted that in the end. Yeah. <laughs> Whether they believe it or not, they're like, it's just happening too much. Machines break down there, and not just yeah. break down, but, I mean, just technical glitches that shouldn't be happening happen there. It's like the Bermuda Triangle of Mars. Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly crap what just it goes is. wrong there, and things disappear and, and break down. Um, I love the little discussion of dragons and dragon slayers and all the different allegories. Yes. Yeah, which there's, I mean, the Slayer represents some all-powerful godhead and the dragon represents dangerous forces of chaos and disorder. Um, which is know. why the dragon can't be killed, only held. Yeah, so you've got obvious uh, links there and um, various stories that all link from the Chronicles of Ursh, which we've heard before with uh, Cinderman and Loken. Right. Uh, I and, love that uh, that came up again. I'm like, wait a minute, is that the same? Well, yes, it is. Yeah, yeah it's repeated a number of times throughout the the, the books, which is cool. Uh, and all these similar stories have this this the dragon and beaten but not destroyed by this this force, um, a sky god with thunder weapons, uh, and all those things like that. Yep, and, and, so she, and of course, most dangerous thing in the freaking universe. Uh, we got to go find it. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, that's it. Um, yeah, and that, that's what it comes down to. We've got to go find it. Are you with me? And they're all like, yep, we're with you. Yeah, yeah, they'll do it because that's what they do. That's what good humans do for good other humans. Yep. Um, and sets us on that story. And then we cut back to um, Cavalario, who's not quite dead. No, <laughs> he's, he's in a in tank. A, and he's in a bad way in a tank, yeah. You know, but for being in a bad way, he seems to grow to like it. Like, at the end, he's like, I don't know how anybody would not want to be. Like, I mean, granted, he loves riding that Titan. And the more you disconnect them from the Titan, the harder it gets to disconnect. I thought that was an interesting thing they kept adding in there. Every time yes. they had to disconnect, it got harder and harder. They became more and more enmeshed yeah. and bonded. And this not is like that. a perfect bond. Yeah, and he's an old, old man. So even with the rejuvenant treatments and everything like that, this bloke is old. So you've got to wonder that his body's not quite up to what it was. Now he's in a you know a system where it doesn't really matter what his body's like because he can just float around in this tank. Yeah, um, I guess it would be more horrifying for a young man, or yeah. maybe for someone who is functionally immortal. You know, like yes. you mentioned with 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 Bjorn. But for an old man who knows he's going to die soon, to be given basically say, "Hey, you're going to live out the, you're going to live functionally, basically almost forever, and you get to do it in your Titan, and you're not dead." <laughs> and you're not so, dead. Exactly. Yeah, so he's there, and he's got this um, uh, Famulus uh, Agatha right. uh, to uh, to help him kind of get used to his uh, his new systems of work. Uh, but they're all they're all a bit on edge around him because they don't know how much he remembers and is he, basically they're trying to work out is he sane, <laughs> right? Uh, because they're like he's still the Storm Lord and we need to know if he's not mental, but we can't really ask him that because he's the Storm Lord, um, right? So it's it's all awkward and he's getting angry and it's all frustration. And then he remembers <laughs> when he died. Yes, yes. And he's crying little tears of blood dripping into the tank in the you know. Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's it's pretty grim. But it's weird because he, you know, 
he's alive. And, you know, hey, it's good to be alive, man. He 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 slips into this role of, you know, bubble boy pretty well. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he's also the, the leader leader of a, a, a Legio and everything else. So he's a strong, strong character as well. Right. Which is, is, is going to help that. If you want to draw yeah. another bad 80s reference, um, you remember the original RoboCop? Yeah. When they had all the other tests and they all – or when RoboCop 2, when they all – they tried to make more RoboCops. They all wound up killing themselves. In fact, the one just grabbed the one guy's gun and shot itself in the head. Yeah. And they're like, well, how did he? Hey, Irish Catholic upbringing, strong sense of value, strong sense of honor, the policeman's thing. You know, he he, he made it because th- th- this was his job to make it. You know, yeah. so it's possible that something like that, you know, just, hey, I'm throwing yeah. out things I think of, whatever. Uh, so, yeah, that would all, all be part of it as well. I, I'm sure not everyone would come back from something like that, but he's also got um, a certain amount of vengeance, I'm sure. <laughs> yep. To pay out. So, yeah. You made me good. run my Titan to death. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Bless him. I'm, I'm, I, I'm sorry. I, I, I'm not making fun. I just, it's still, that's its weakness, and it still cracks me up. I mean, hey, that's my weakness. Being morbidly obese, if I got to run, I'm dead. So, you know. <sighs> I, maybe I'm titan sized, whatever you want to call it, but it just cracks me up. I, I, I'm sorry. So, so folks, we're going to stop here, uh, and we'll be back in a couple of weeks with the second half of the book. Um, hope you're enjoying it, Greg. Yep. And uh, so, uh, folks, I guess it's time to say goodbye. And um, yeah. yeah, guys, won't be that long a wait. We're getting this part recorded, we're getting it all together, but. Uh, just for show length's sake, deal with it. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. We'll, we'll break it up and just release yeah, it. Say we'll a week apart, something like that. Yeah, no, you'll have it quickly. Don't worry about it. But uh, until we are back, folks, as you well know, the emperor begs. Death to the false emperor! Congratulations on completing another episode of After Eleanor. David and Greg would love you to come and chat some more about the Horus Heresy in the forums at garagehammer.net slash forum or on the Facebook page. Just search for After Ulanor. You can email us if you wish at greg at garagehammer.net or david at garagehammer.net. Finally, you can catch us on Twitter at After Ulanor, at Child of Fang for Greg and at Garagehammer for David. If you'd like to support the show, you can visit the support page on the main website at garagehammer.net and you can leave a positive review on iTunes. In addition, you can tell all your friends to come and join the community. Many thanks for listening, and until the next episode, may the Emperor protect. <laughs>